Welcome to another episode of Corona Cold Reads, my entertainment world's answer to social isolation. Every Tuesday and Saturday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, we're getting together on YouTube Live to broadcast a cold reading of a Shakespeare play. Our actors run the gamut from um, non-professional actors to some of the biggest names in uh, North American classical theater. Um, But what we all have in common is just a really genuine love of Shakespeare and in these uncertain, really genuinely scary times, um, what makes us feel better is getting together and listening to the text and exploring these stories together. So hopefully these episodes will bring you comfort as well, and you'll enjoy them as much as we enjoyed recording them. Um, All of the videos are available on our YouTube channel, which you just search My Entertainment World, um, as well as on our website, myentertainmentworld.ca, where you can find the full cast lists, um, as well as lots of other articles and all of our other content that we have going up all the time. Um, also, you should follow us on social media, uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's both my ent world, my ENT world. Um, there you'll see, be able to see highlights from all of the recordings, um, as well as you can get the links to watch us live. Um, But we also have all sorts of content created just specifically for those platforms. In addition to, um, that's where you can find links to all of our website content as well, which is myentertainmentworld.ca. The videos do stay up after the live recording, so you can watch them after the fact, or you can catch the audio version in the podcast feed, um, which is you just search My Entertainment World in uh, iTunes, and there you'll find all of our different podcast series where we have the favorite series, the Shakespeare series, the nominee interview series, uh, Corona Cold Reads, Corona Movie Club, Season 1, Episode 1, and the My Entertainment World podcast. Um, Tons of different things happening. There's never been a better time to subscribe to our podcast. We have so much content happening right now. Um, but you're here for Corona Cold Reads for Shakespeare. Um, so these are cold reads for the most part. Uh, our actors n- did not have more than a day, maybe two, if they're lucky, um, to look over the text if they wanted to. Most of them didn't have the chance to, so it is just them sitting down and reading it cold. Um, so you'll you'll be able to hear that there will be some rocky moments and sometimes when we may have to pause and um, wonder why somebody's got their zoom on mute or you know how things happen. Um, we're all adjusting to these new technologies to cope with what we're going through right now. So I hope you enjoy. So today we have Henry the Fourth, Part One, which is the beginning of a little mini trilogy within the larger Henriad, uh, tracing the rise of Prince Hal to his journey towards becoming Henry the Fifth. Um, this is one of those plays, a little bit like Cymbeline, where the main, the title character is not necessarily the main character. The title character is Hal's father, Henry the Fourth, who you met um, when he was called Bolingbroke in Richard the Second, which is what we did last time. Um, so do not worry if you didn't get a chance to listen to our rendition of Richard II or view it on YouTube, um, or if you just never read the play before, um, because even though it is really important to know what happened in that play, uh, and there are going to be some recurring characters like Henry Bolingbroke, who's now Henry IV, um, played by Robert Skanes, and Northumberland, played by Shailen McFall, among others, um, we have you covered. Uh, we asked our uh, musical cast members who you may have you you may recognize from previous cold reads playing things like fools and and amians like the lords people who sing 
Um, those cast members, uh, Gabby Grace and James King, we asked to come back and be our troubadours throughout the history cycle. So what they're doing is they've created original musical recaps um, of each episode so that to put at the beginning of each new episode so that you know what's going on. It's sort of like a television show, you know, last week on Succession, that sort of thing, um, to catch you up, remind you. And in case, you know, it's very possible to watch these things and and enjoy them, and but still not quite necessarily get all of the little nuances of the plot. So they've done these synopses so really, to really pick out the important stuff, make it funny, make it digestible, make it musical and set you up um, at the beginning of Act 1, Scene 1 of each of the new plays so that you know what you're getting into from the previous play. Um, So I'm so excited. This is their debut because it's the second episode of The History Cycle, and they'll be with us for the rest of it straight through to the end of Richard III. Um, So I'm really excited for you guys to meet them and listen to their amazing troubadour work because it, for me, was really the highlight of The History Cycle. Um, although the whole, the whole history cycle was fun. I got a real thrill out of um, all of the characters recurring um, and watching people grow and change their characters. This is the debut of Scott Garland as Prince Hal, and that was a real treat to watch him sort of evolve the character out of this like goofy, ne'er-do-well kind of drunkard into you know a really kingly, you know, leading his forces to conquer France. Spoiler alert in Henry V. So um, that was a really thrilling arc to follow. Um, here you're going to meet Weldon Gorey's Falstaff for the first time, who uh, was really fun. Weldon lives in Paris, so he stayed up till 3 a.m. to call in for these Zoom calls um, to play Falstaff, which was just a thrill. Um, yeah, so I Henry IV is great. Henry IV Part One is particularly fun. Um, I love the character of Hotspur, who here is played by James Graham, um, which is, I think, one of our great pieces of casting. He's so well-suited to that role. Um, yeah, and so it, Henry the Fourth Part One is great. It's it's my favorite of the little mini trilogy of how how plays. Um, there's not a lot to it in terms of introduction that you need to know. Really, um, there's what the troubadours are going to tell you from Richard the Second, which is basically how Henry the Fourth got to be on the throne. Um, and then you've just got Hal and his friends sort of Breaking Bad in East Cheap, and uh, yeah, he's just like not thriving under his father's shadow. <laughs> That's really all there is to it. There's lots of hijinks. Um, yeah, it's a it's a pretty good play. It's not one of the greatest plays of all time, but it's a pretty pretty serviceable play with lots of tonal layers to it. Um, I'm mostly really excited for you to hear these troubadours. They are really cool. Um, so, hope you enjoy. I'll shut up now. We take you back to 1398, when Dick of Bordeaux was in power. He was just a kid when he took the throne, but he'd end up dead in the tower. When his pal Morbray and his cousin Hank asked him to weigh in on their feud, because Hank was sure that Morbray had lied about killing his uncle Gloucester's dude. A duel was set, the day had come, but Dick changed his mind instead. 
Feeling real guilty, he exiled them both. Couldn't bear to see either of them dead. But when Hank's old man, John of Gaunt, finally kicked the bucket, Dick took all his lands to fund a bullshit war, pissed off to Ireland with no more than a fuck it. To no one's surprise, Henry wasn't thrilled and rounded up all the men. Old friends, new friends, Richards too, and came back with a bang to England. With Brady's, Henry took the crown, dubbing himself the fourth. Richard came back with not many friends, except one lonely York. He sends Tricky Dick to the Tower of London to live out the rest of his days. When a burgeoning entrepreneur named Exton completely sort of uh, misinterprets what the new king had said about possibly, I guess you could take it as killing the old king, but he really said it in a kind of like passing remark, offhanded comment, but this guy really takes it to heart. One, two, three, Exton returns to the king's court, Dickie's corpse for some reason in tow. Hank is shocked. He doesn't know what to say because he really didn't think anyone had actually heard what he said. Like, is it easier now that Richard said it definitely is? Did he want him dead? Possibly. Did he say it? He did. He said it. But he said it so quietly, he didn't think anybody would take it literally. Okay. Yeah, so off Hank goes to the Holy Land to wash away this murderous sin because he feels bad, but not too bad. Because remember now, he's the king. Ow, ow! <laughs> That's how you Shakespeare. That's how you Shakespeare. <laughs> That was amazing, guys. I can't wait for all of these. <laughs> okay, so act one, scene one. London, the palace, enter King Henry, Lord John of Lancaster, the Earl of, Earl of Westmoreland, Sir Walter Blunt, and others. So shaken as we are, so wan with care, find we a time for fright and peace to pant. And breathe short-winded accents of new broils to be commenced in strands afar remote. No more the thirsty entrance of this soil shall daub her lips with her own children's blood. No more shall trenching war channel her fields, nor bruise her flowerets with the armed hoofs of hostile paces. Those opposed eyes, which, like the meteors of a troubled heaven, all of one nature, of one substance bred, did lately meet in the intestine shock and furious close of civil butchery, shall now, in mutual, well-beseeming ranks, march all one way and be no more opposed against acquaintance, kindred, and allies. The edge of war, like an ill-sheathed knife, no more shall cut his master. Therefore, friends, as far as the sepulcher of Christ, whose soldier now under whose blessed cross we are impressed and engaged to fight, forthwith the power of English shall we levy, whose arms were molded in their mother's womb to chase these pagans in those holy fields over whose acres walked those blessed feet which 1,400 years ago were nailed for our advantage on the bitter cross. 
But this our purpose now is twelve month old and bootless, tis to tell you we will go. Therefore we meet now, then let me hear of you, my gentle cousin Westmoreland, what yesternight our council did decree in forwarding this dear expedience. My liege, this haste was hot in question, and many limits of the charge set down, but yesternight, when all athwart there came a post from Wales, loaden with heavy news, whose worst was that the noble Mortimer, leading the man of Herefordshire to fight against the irregular and wild Glendower, was by the rude hands of that Welshman taken, a thousand of his people butchered, upon whose dead corpse there was such misuse, such beastly, shameless transformation by those Welsh women, done as may not be without much shame retold or spoken of. It seems then that the tidings of this broil break off our business for the Holy Land. This matched with other did, my gracious lord, for more uneven and unwelcome news came from the north, and thus it did in port. On Holyrood Day, the gallant Hotspur there, young Harry Percy, and brave Archibald, that ever valiant and approved Scot, at Holmdom met, where they did spend a sad and bloody hour, as by discharge of their artillery and shape of likelihood the news was told. For he that brought them, in the very heat and pride of the contention, did take horse uncertain of the issue any way. Here is a dear, a true industrious friend, Sir Walter Blunt, new lighted from his horse, stained with the variation of each soil betwixt that Holmedon and this seed of ours, and he hath brought us smooth and welcome news. The Earl of Douglas is discomfited. Ten thousand bold Scots, two and twenty knights, balked in their own blood by did Sir Walter see one on Holmedon's plain. Of prisoners, Hotspur took Mordecai, the Earl of Fife and the eldest son to beaten Douglas, and the Earl of Athol, of Murray, Angus, and Menteith. And is not this an honorable spoil, a gallant prize? Ha! Cousin, is it not? In faith, it is a conquest for a prince to boast of. Yea, there are thou, there thou makest me sad and makest me sin in envy that my lord Northumberland should be the father to so blessed a son, a son who is the theme of honor's tongue. Amongst a groove, the very straightest plant, who is sweet fortune's minion and her pride. Whilst I, by looking on the praise of him, see riot and dishonor stain the brow of my young Harry. Oh, that it could be proved that some night-tripping fairy had exchanged in cradle-clothes our children where they lay, and called mine Percy, his plantagenet. Then would I have his Harry and he mine, but let him from my thoughts. What think you, cuz, of this young Percy's pride? The prisoners which he in this adventure hath surprised, to his own use he keeps, and sends me word, I shall have none but Mordecai, Earl of Fife. This is his uncle's teaching. This is Worcester, malevolent to you in all aspects, which makes him prune himself and bristle up the crest of youth against your dignity. But I have sent for him to answer this. And for this cause, a while we must neglect our holy purpose to Jerusalem. Cousin, on Wednesday next, our council we will hold at Windsor. So inform the lords. But come yourself with speed to us again, for more is to be said and to be done than out of anger can be uttered. I will, my liege. Exunt, scene two, London, an apartment of the princes. Enter Prince of Wales and Falstaff. Now, now what time of day is it, lad? <laughs> 
Thou art so fat-witted with drinking of old sack and unbuttoning thee after supper and sleeping upon benches afternoon that thou hast forgotten to demand that truly which thou wouldst truly know. What a devil hast thou to do at the time of day? Unless hours were cups of sack and minutes, capons and clocks, the tons of bods and the dials and signs of leaping houses and the blessed sun himself, a fair hot wench in flame, colored taffeta. I see no reason why thou shouldst be so superfluous to demand the time of day. Indeed, you come near me now, Hal. For we that take purses go by the moon and the seven stars and not by Phoebus. He mm -hmm. that wandering night so fair, and I prithee, sweet wag, when thou art king, as God save thy grace, <coughs> majesty, I should say, from grace, thou wilt have none. What? None? No. Hmm. By my troth. Not so much as will serve to prologue to an egg and butter. Oh, well, how then? Come, roundly, roundly. Marry then, sweet wag. When thou art king, let not us that are squires of the knight's body be called thieves of the day's beauty. Hmm. <laughs> let us be Diana's foresters, gentlemen of the shade, minions of the moon. And let, let men say we be men of good government, being governed as the sea is by our noble and chaste mistress the moon, under whose countenance we steal. Thou sayest well, and it holds well too, for the fortune of us that are the moon's men doth ebb and flow like the sea, being governed as the sea is by the moon. As for proof now, a purse of gold most resolutely snatched on Monday night and most dissolutely spent on Tuesday morning, got with swearing, lay by, and spent with crying, bring in, now, in as low an ebb as the foot of the ladder, and by and by in as high a flow as the ridge of the gallows. By the Lord, thou sayest true, lad, and is not my hostess of the tavern a most sweet wench? As honey of Hybla, my old lad of the castle. And is not a buff jerkin a most sweet robe of durance? How now, how now, mad wag? What, in thy quips and thy quiddities? What a plague have I to do with a buff jerkin? Why, what a pox have I to do with my hostess of the tavern? <laughs> Thou hast called her to a reckoning many a time and oft. Hmm, did I ever call thee for a pay to pay thy part? No, hmm. I'll give thee thy due. Thou hast paid all there. Yea, and elsewhere, so far as my coin would stretch, and where it would not, I have used my credit. Yea, and so it, and so used it that were it not here apparent that thou art heir apparent. But I prithee, sweet wag, shall there be gallows standing in England when thou art king, and resolution thus fobbed as it is with the rusty curb of old father antic the law do not thou when thou art king hang a thief no thou shalt shall I? Oh, rare. by the lord i'll be a brave judge thou judgest false already i mean thou shalt have the hanging of the thieves and so become a rare hangman well, how well, and in some sort it jumps with my humor, as well as waiting in the court, I can tell you. For obtaining of suits? Yea, for obtaining of suits, whereof the hangman hath no lean wardrobes. Blood! 
Oh, I'm as melancholy as a gib cat or a lugged bear. Or an old lion. Or a lover's lute. Yea, or the drone of a Lincolnshire bagpipe. What sayest thou to a hare or the melancholy of Moorditch? Hmm? Thou hast the most unsavory similes and art indeed the most comparative rascally sweet young <laughs> prince. But how, I prithee, <laughs> trouble me no more with vanity. I would to God thou and I knew where a commodity of good names were to be bought. An old lord of the council raided me the other day in the street about you, sir, but I marked him not. And yet he talked very wisely, but I regarded him not. And yet he talked wisely in the street, too. Thou didst well, for wisdom cries out in the streets, and no man regards it. Oh, thou hast damnable iteration and art indeed able to corrupt a saint. Thou hast done much harm upon me, Hal. God forgive thee for it. Before I knew thee, Hal, I knew nothing. Now I'm now am I, if a man should speak truly, little better than oh, one of the wicked. I must give over this life, and will give it over. By the Lord, and, and I do not, I am a villain. I'll be damned for never a king's son in Christendom. Hmm. Where shall we take a purse tomorrow, Jack? Zounds, where thou wilt, lad, I'll make one, and I do not call me a villain and baffle me. Oh, I see a good amendment of life in thee, from praying to purse-taking. Hmm. Oh, why, Hal, tis my vocation, Hal. Tis no sin for a man to labor in his vocation. <laughs> Points. Points! <laughs> hey. Now shall we know if Gadzel have set a match? Oh, if men were to be saved by merit, what hole in hell were hot enough for him? This is the most omnipotent villain that ever cried stand to a true man. Good morrow, Ned. Good morrow, sweet Hal. What says a uh, Monsieur Remorse? What says a uh, Sir John Sack and Sugar? Jack, <laughs> agrees the devil in thee about thy soul, that thou soldest him on uh, Good Friday, last or a cup of Madeira and a gold cape on his leg. <laughs> Sir John stands to his word. The devil shall have his bargain, for he was never yet a breaker of proverbs. He will give the devil his due. Then art thou damned for keeping thy word with the devil? Oh, else he had been damned for cousining the devil. But, uh, my lads, my lads, tomorrow morning by four o'clock at Gad's Hill, there are pilgrims going to Canterbury with rich offerings and traders riding to London with fat purses. I have visits for you all. You have horses for yourselves. Gadshill lies tonight in Rochester. So I have bespoke supper tomorrow night in East Cheap. We may <clears throat> do it as secure as sleep. If you go, I will slip your purses full of crowns. And if you will not, tarry at home and be hanged. Hear ye, Yedward. If I tarry at home and go not, I'll hang you for going. Oh, you will, Chops? How? <laughs> Wilt thou make one? Who, I? I, a thief? <laughs> not I, by faith. Oh, there's neither honesty, manhood, nor good fellowship in thee. Nor thou camest not of blood royal, if thou darest not stand for ten shillings. Well then, once in my days, I'll be a madcap. <laughs> That's well said. Well... Come what will, I'll tarry at home. By the Lord, I'll be a traitor then when thou art king. <laughs> I care not. Sir John, I've heard thee leave the prince Emmy alone. 
I will lay him down such reasons for this adventure that he shall go. Well, God give thee the spirit of persuasion and him the ears of profiting, that what thou speakest may move and what he hears may be believed, that the true prince may, for recreation's sake, prove a false thief. For the poor abuses of the time want countenance. Farewell, you shall find me in Eastcheap. <laughs> Farewell, thou latter spring. Farewell, all hallowed summer. Exit Falstaff. Now, my good, sweet honey lord, hmm? ride with us tomorrow. I have a jest to execute that I cannot manage alone. Falstaff, Bardo, Pito, and Gadshill shall rob those men that we have already waylaid, yourself and I will, yourself and I will not be there. And when they have the booty, if you and I do not rob them, cut this head from my shoulders. How <laughs> shall we part with them in setting forth? Why, we will set forth before or after them and appoint them a place of meeting, wherein is at our pleasure to fail, and then will they adventure upon the exploit themselves, when they shall have no sooner achieved, but will set upon them. Yay, but tis like that they will know us by our horses, by our habits, and by every other appointment to be ourselves. Mm. Oh, tie. Our horses they shall not see. I'll tie them into the wood. Our wizards we will change after we leave them, and sirrah. I have cases of buckram for the nonce to enmask our noted outward garments. Yay. But I doubt they will be too hard for us. Well, for two of them, I know them to be as true bred cowards as ever turned. And for the third, if he fight longer than he sees reason, I'll forswear arms. The virtue of this jest will be the incomprehensible lies that this same fat rogue will tell us when we meet at supper. How 30 at least he fought with. What more than what blows, what extremities he endured. And in the reproof of this lies the jest. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll go with thee. Provide us all things necessary and meet me tomorrow night in East Chip. There, I'll sup. Farewell. Very well, my lord. Exit points. I know you all. And will a while uphold the unyoked humor of your idleness. Yet herein will I imitate the sun, who doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that when he please again to be himself, being wanted, he may be more wondered at by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapors that did seem to strangle him. If all the year were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to work, but when they seldom come, they wish for come, and nothing pleaseth but rare accidents. So when this loose behavior I throw off and pay the debt I never promised it, by how much better than my word I am? Hmm? By so much shall I falsify men's hopes, and like bright metal on a sullen ground, my reformation glittering o'er my fault, 
shall show more goodly and attract more eyes than that which hath no foil to set it off. I'll so offend to make offenses still, redeeming time when men think least. I will. Exit. Scene three, London, the palace. Enter the King, Northumberland, Worcester, Hotspur, Sir Walter Blunt, and others. My blood hath been too cold and temperate, unapt to stir at these indignities, and you have found me. For accordingly you tread upon my patience, but be sure I will from henceforth rather be myself, mighty and to be feared, than my condition which hath been smooth as oil, soft as young down, and therefore lost that title of respect which the proud soul ne'er pays but to the proud. Our house, my sovereign liege, little deserves the scourge of greatness to be used on it, and that same greatness to which our own hands have hope to make so portly. My lord. Worcester, get thee gone, for I do see danger and disobedience in thine eye. Oh, sir, your presence is too bold and peremptory, and majesty might never yet endure the moody frontier of a servant brow. You have good leave to leave us. When we need your use and counsel, we shall send for you. Exit Worcester. You were about to speak. Yea, my lord. Those prisoners in your highness's name demanded which Harry Percy here at Holmendon took were, as he says, not with such strength denied as is delivered to your majesty. Either envy, therefore, or misprision is guilty of this fault, and not my son. My liege, I did deny no prisoners. But I remember when the fight was done, when I was dry with rage and extreme toil, breathless and faint, leaning upon my sword, came there a certain lord, neat and trimly dressed, fresh as a bridegroom, and his chin, new reaped, showed like a stubble land at harvest home. He was perfumed like a milliner, and twixt his finger and his thumb, he held a, a poncet box, which ever and anon he gave his nose and took it away again, who therewith angry, when it next came there, took it in snuff, and still he smiled and talked, and as the soldiers bore dead bodies by, he called them untaught knaves, unmannerly, to bring a slovenly, unhandsome corpse betwixt the wind and his nobility. Many holiday and lady terms he questioned me, amongst the rest, demanded my prisoners in your majesty's behalf. I then, all smarting with my wounds being cold, to be so pestered with a popinjay out of my grief and my impatience, answered neglectingly, I know not what, he should or he should not, for he made me mad to see him shine so brisk and smell so sweet and talk, so like a waiting gentlewoman of guns and drums and wounds, God save the mark, and telling me the sovereignest thing on earth was a, a, a parmacity for an inward bruise, that it was great pity, so it was that villainous salt Peter should be digged out of the bowels of the harmless earth, which many a good tall fellow had destroyed so cowardly, and but for these vile guns, he would himself have been a soldier. Spalled unjointed chat of his, my lord, I answered indirectly, as I said, and I beseech you, let not his report come current for an accusation betwixt my love and your high majesty. 
The circumstance considered good, my lord. What our lord Harry Percy then had said to such a person, and in such a place, at such a time, with all the rest retold, may reasonably die and never rise to do him wrong or any way impeach what then he said, so he unsay it now. Yet, why yet he doth deny his prisoners, but with proviso and exception, that we at our own charge shall ransom straight his brother-in-law, the foolish Mortimer, who on my soul hath willfully betrayed the lives of those that he did lead to fight against the great magician Dan Glendower, whose daughter, as we hear, the Earl of March hath lately married. Shall our coffers then be emptied to redeem a traitor home? Shall we but treason? and indent with fears when they have lost the forfeited themselves? No, on the barren mountains let him starve, for I shall never hold that man, my friend, whose tongue shall ask me for one penny cost a ransom home revolted Mortimer. Revolted Mortimer! He never did fall off my sovereign leave, but by the chance of war. To prove that true needs no more but one tongue for all those wounds, those mouthed wounds which valiantly he took when on the gentle Severn's sedgy bank, in single opposition, hand to hand, he did confound the best part of an hour in changing hardament with great Glendower. Three times they breathed, and three times did they drink upon agreement of swift Severn's flood, who then, affrighted with their bloody looks, ran fearfully among the trembling reeds and hid his crisp head in the hollow bank, blood-stained with these valiant combatants. Never did base and rotten policy color her working with such deadly wounds, nor could the noble Mortimer receive so many and all willingly. Then let not him be slandered with revolt. Thou dost belie him, Percy. Thou dost belie him. He never did encounter with Glendower. I tell thee, he durst as well have met the devil alone as Owen Glendower for an enemy. Art thou not ashamed? But, sirrah, henceforth, let me not hear you speak of Mortimer. Send me your prisoners with the speediest means, or you shall hear in such a kind from me as will displease you. My lord Northumberland, we license your departure with your son. Send us your prisoners, or you will hear of it. Exunt King Henry, Blunt and Train. And if the devil come and roar for them, I will not send them. I will after straight and tell him so, for I will ease my heart, albeit I make a hazard of my head. What? Drunk with choler. Stay and pause a while. Here comes your uncle. Speak, we enter Worcester. Speak of Mortimer Zunes, I will speak of him, and let my soul want mercy if I do, if I do not join with him. Beyond his part, I'll empty all these veins and shed my dear blood drop by drop in the dust. But I will lift the downtrod Mortimer as high in the air as this unthankful king, as this ingrate and cankered bowling broke. Brother, the king hath made your nephew mad. Who struck this heat up after I was gone? He will forsooth have all my prisoners, and when I urged the ransom once again of my wife's brother, then his cheek looked pale, and on my face he turned an eye of death, trembling even at the name of Mortimer. I cannot blame him. Was not he proclaimed by Richard the dead is, the next of blood? He was. I heard the proclamation. And then it was when the unhappy king, whose wrongs in us God pardon, did set forth upon his Irish expedition. From whence he intercepted, did return to be deposed and shortly murdered. 
and for whose death we in the world's wide mouth live scandalized and foully spoken of. But, but soft, I pray you, did, did King Richard then proclaim my brother Edmund Mortimer heir to the crown? He did. Myself did hear it. Nay, then I cannot blame his cousin king that wished him on the barren mountains starve. But shall it be that you that set the crown upon the head of this forgetful man, for his sake wear the detested blot of murderous suborn? Shall it be that you a world of curses undergo, being the agents or base second means, the cord, the latter, or the hangman, rather? Oh, pardon me that I descend so low to show the line and the predicament wherein you range under this subtle king. Shall it be for shame, for it shall it for shame be spoken in these days, or fill up chronicles in time to come that men of your nobility and, and power did gauge them both in an unjust behalf as both of you, God pardon it, have done to put down Richard, that sweet lovely rose, and plant this thorn, this canker, this Bolingbroke? And shall it in more shame be further spoken that you are fooled, discarded, and, and shook off by him for whom these shames ye underwent? No, if time serves wherein you may redeem your banished honours and restore yourselves into the good thoughts of the world again, revenge the jeering and disdained contempt of this proud king who studies day and night to answer all the debt he owes to you, even with the bloody payment of your debts. Therefore, I say... Peace, cousin. Say no more. And now I will unclasp a secret book. And to your quick conceiving discontents, I'll read you matter deep and dangerous, as full of peril and adventurous spirit as to o'erwalk a current roaring loud on the unsteadfast footing of a spear. If you fall in, good night, or sink or swim, send danger from the east unto the west, so honor cross it from the north to the south, and let them grapple over the blood more stirs to rouse a lion than to start a hare. Imagination of some great exploit drives him beyond the bounds of patience. By heaven, methinks it were an easy leap to pluck bright honor from the pale-faced moon, or dive into the bottom of the deep where fathom line could never touch the ground, or pluck up drowned honor by the locks, so he that doth redeem might wear without Coraval all her dignities, but out upon this half-faced fellowship. Oh, he apprehends a world of figures here, but not the form of what he should attend. Good cousin, give me audience for a while. I cry you mercy. Those same noble Scots that are your prisoners... I'll keep them all. By God, he shall not have a Scot of them. No, if a Scot should save his soul, he shall not. I'll keep them by this hand. You start away and lend no ear unto my purposes. Those prisoners you shall keep. Nay, I will. That's flat. He said he would not ransom Mortimer, forbade my tongue to speak of Mortimer. But I will find him when he lies asleep, and in his ear I'll holla, Mortimer! Nay, I'll have a starling shall be taught to speak nothing but Mortimer, and give it him to keep his anger still in motion. Hear you, cousin, a word. All studies here I solemnly defy, save how to gall and pinch this Bolingbroke and this same sword and buckler, Prince of Wales, that I think his father loves him not and would be glad he met with some mischance, would have him poisoned with a pot of ale. Farewell, kinsman. I'll talk to you when you are better tempered to attend. 
Why, what a wasp-stung and impatient fool art thou to break into this woman's mood, tying thine ear to no tongue but thine own. Why, look you, I am whipped and scourged with rods, nettled and stung with pismires when I hear of this vile politician Bolingbroke. In Richard's time, what, what do I call the place? Uh, a plague upon it. Is, is it in, in Gloucestershire? Uh, Tis where the madcap duke, his uncle kept, his uh, uncle York, where I first bowed my knee unto this king of smiles, this, this Bolingbroke. Ah, blood! And you and he came back from Ravensburg. At Berkeley Castle. Say true. By what a candy deal of courtesy this fawning greyhound then did proffer me. Look, when this infant fortune came to age and, and gentle Henry, Harry Percy, and kind of a cousin. Oh, the devil takes such cousiners. God forgive me. Oh, good uncle, tell your tale. I have done. Nay, if you have not, to it again. We will stay your leisure. I have done a faith. Then, once more, to your Scottish prisoners, deliver them up without their ransom straight, and make the Douglas son your only means for powers in Scotland, which, for diverse reasons, which I shall send you written, be assured, will easily be granted you, my lord. Your son in Scotland, being thus employed, shall secretly into the bosom creep of that same noble prelate, well beloved, the Archbishop. Of York, is it not? True, who bears hard his brother's death at Bristol, the Lord's scroop. I speak not this in estimation, as what I think might be, but what I know is ruminated, plotted, and set down, and only stays but to behold the face of that occasion that shall bring it on. I smell it. Upon my life it will do well. Before the game is foot, they'll still let slip. Why, it cannot choose but be a noble plot. And then power of Scotland and of York to join with Mortimer, huh? And so they shall. In faith, it is exceedingly well aimed. And tis no little reason bids us speed, to save our heads by raising of a head. For bear ourselves as even as we can, the king will always think him in our debt, and think we think ourselves unsatisfied till he hath found a time to pay us whole. And see already how he doth begin to make us strangers to his looks of love? He does. He does. We'll be revenged on him. Cousin, farewell. No further go in this than I, by letters, shall direct your course. When time is right, which will be suddenly, I'll steal to Glendower and Lord Mortimer, where you and Douglas and our powers at once, as I will fashion it, shall happily meet. To bear our fortunes in our strong arms, which now we hold at much uncertainty. Farewell, good brother. We shall thrive, I trust. Uncle, adieu. Oh, let the hours be short till fields and blows and groans applaud our sport. Exit. Act two, scene one. Rochester, an inn-yard, enter a carrier with a lantern in his hand. Hi-ho, and it not be four by the day, I'll be hanged. Charles Swain is over with the new chimney, and yet our horse is not packed. What, ostler? Anon, anon. I prithee, Tom, beat cuts saddle. Put a few flocks in the point. Poor Jade is wrung in the withers out of all cess. Enter another carrier. Peas and beans are as dank here as a dog, and that is the next way to give poor Jade's the bot. This house is turned upside down since Robin Osler died. Poor fellow never joyed since the price of oats rose. It was the death of him. 
I think this be the most villainous house in all of London Road for fleas. I am stunk like a tench. Like a tench. By the master's narrow cane christened could be better bit than I have been since the first cock. Why then will they allow us near a Jordan, and then we leak in your chimney, and your chamber lie breeds fleas like a loach? What ostler, come away and be hanged. I began a bacon and two razors of ginger to be delivered as far as Charing Cross. God's body. The turkeys in my pannier are quite starved. What ostler, a plague on thee. Hast thou never an eye on, in thy head? Canst not, canst not hear? And twere not as good a deed as drink to break the pate on thee. I am a very villain. Come and be hanged. Hast thou no faith in thee? Enter Gadsel. <laughs> good morrow, carriers. What's the clock? I think it be two o'clock. I pray thee lend me thy lantern to see my gelding in the stable. Nay, by God's soft, I know a trick worth two of that a faith. I pray thee lend me thine. I when? I can't tell. Lend me thy lanterns, quoth he. Mary, I'll see thee hanged first. Sirrah, carrier, what time do you mean to come to London? Time enough to go to bed with a candle, I warrant thee. Come, neighbor mugs, we'll call up the gentlemen. They will along with the company, for they have great charge. Exit carriers. What, ho, Chamberlain? At hand, quoth thick purse. That's even as fair as... At hand, quoth the chamberlain, for thou variest no more from picking of purses than giving direction doth from laboring. Thou layest the plot how. Enter chamberlain. Good morrow, Master Gadshill. It holds current that I told you yesternight. There's a Franklin in the wild of Kent hath brought three hundred marks with him in gold. I heard him tell it to one of his company last night at supper, a kind of auditor, one that hath abundance of charge, too, God knows what. They're up already and call for eggs and butter. They will away presently. Sirrah, if they meet not with St. Nicholas's clerks, I'll give thee this neck. No, I'll none of it. I pray thee, keep that for the hangman, for I know thou worshipest St. Nicholas as truly as any man of falsehood may. What talkest thou to me of the hangman? If I hang, I'll make a fat pair of gallows, for if I hang, old Sir John hangs with me, and thou knowest he is no starveling. Tut, there are other Trojans that thou dreamest not of, the which for sport's sake are content to do the profession some grace, that would, if matters should be looked into, for their own credit's sake, make all whole. I am joined with no footland rakers, no long-staff six-penny strikers, none of these mad mustachio purple-hued malt worms, but with nobility and tranquility, burgomasters and great one-years, such as can hold in, such as will strike sooner than speak, and speak sooner than drink, and drink sooner than pray. And yet sounds, I lie, for they pray continually to their saint, the commonwealth, or rather, not pray to her, but pray on her, for they ride up and down on her and make her their boots. What, the commonwealth their boots? Will she hold out water in foul way? She will, she will. Justice hath liquored her. We steal as in a castle cocksure. We have the receipt of fernseed. We walk invisible. <laughs> Nay, by my faith, I think you are more beholding to the knight than to fernseed for your walking invisible. Give me thy hand. Thou shalt have a share in our purchase, as I am a true man. 
Nay, rather let me have it as you are a false thief. Go to, homo is a common name to all men. Bid the ostler bring my gelding out of the stable. Farewell, you muddy knave. Exent. Scene two, the highway near Gadshill. Enter Prince Henry and Poyne. Come. <sighs> Shelter. Shelter. I have removed Falstaff's horse, and he frets like a gummed velvet. <coughs> Stand close. Enter <coughs> Falstaff. Poins. Poins and be hanged. Poins. Peace, ye fat kidneyed rascal. What a brawling does that keep? Where's Poins, Hal? Oh, he has walked up to the top of the hill. I'll go seek him. I am a curse to rob in that thief's company. The rascal hath removed my horse and tied him I know not where. If I travel but four foot by the squire further afoot, I shall break my wind. Well, I doubt not but to die a fair death for all of this if I escape hanging for killing that rogue. I have forsworn his company hourly any time this two and twenty years, and yet I am bewitched with the rogue's company. If the rascal hath not given me medicines to make me love him, I'll be hanged. It could not be else. Oh, I have drunk medicines. Points! Ah, oh, plague on you both. Bart off. Pato, I'll starve ere I'll rob a foot further. And for not as good a deed as drink to turn true man and leave these rogues, I am the veriest varlet that ever chewed with a tooth. Eight yards of uneven ground is three score and ten miles afoot with me, and the stony-hearted villains know it well enough. A plague upon it when thieves cannot be true to one another. Whew. A plague upon you all. Give me my horse, you rogues. Give me my horse and be hanged. Peace, you fat guts. Lie down. Lay thine ear close to the ground and list if thou canst hear the tread of travelers. Have you any levers to lift me up again, being down? It's blood. I'll not bear mine own flesh so far afoot again for all the coin in thy father's exchequer. What a plague me need to colt me thus. Thou liest. Thou art colted. Thou art uncolted. <laughs> I prithee, good Prince Hal, help me to my horse, good king's son. Out, your rogue. Shall I be your ostler? Go hang thyself in thine own heir-apparent garters. If I be tain, I'll peach for this. And I have not ballads made on you all and sung to filthy tunes. Let a cup of sack be my poison. Oh, when a jest is so forward and a foot too. I hate it. Enter Gadshill, Bardolph, and Peto. Peto? Stan. Uh, so I do, against my will. Oh, Tis our setter. I know his voice, Bardolph. What news? Casey, Casey, on with your visitors. There's money of the king's coming down the hill. Tis going to the king's executor. You lie, ye rogue. Tis going to the king's tavern. There's enough to make us all. Well, to be hanged. Sirs, you four shall front them in the narrow lane. Ned Poins and I will walk lower. If they escape from your encounter... Then they light on us. How many be there about? Some eight or ten. Towns, will they not rob us? What, a coward, Sir John Punch? Indeed, I am not John of Gaunt, your grandfather, but yet no coward, Hal. Well, we leave that to prove. Sarah Jack, thy 
horse stands behind the hedge when thou needest him. There thou shalt find him. Farewell. And uh, stand fast. No, I cannot strike him if I should be hanged. <laughs> Ned, where are our disguises? Ah, uh, here, hard by, stand close. Mm-hmm. Exempt Prince Henry in points. Now, my masters, happy man be's dole, I say. Every man to his business. Enter the travelers. Um, neighbor, the boy shall lead our horses down the hill. We'll walk afoot a while and ease our legs. Dad. Jesus, bless us. Strike, down with them, cut the villains' throats, ah, horse and caterpillars, bacon-fed knaves, they hate us, youth. Down with them, fleece them. Ah, we are undone, both we and ours forever. Hang ye, gore-bellied knaves, are ye undone? No, ye fat chuffs. I would your store were here, on bacons, on. What, ye knaves, young men must live. Your grand jurors are ye, well, jury ye, faith. They rob them and bind them, exeunt. Re-enter Prince Henry and points. The thieves have bound the true men. Now, could thou and I rob the thieves and go merrily to London? It would be argument for a week, laughter for a month, and a good jest forever. Oh, stand close. I hear them coming. Do the thieves again. Come, my masters. Let us share and then to horse before day. And the prince and poins be not too errant coward. There's no equity stirring. There's no more valor in that poins than in a wild duck. <coughs> Your money! <gasps> Villains! As they are sharing the prince and poins set upon them, they all run away and Falstaff, after a blow or two, runs away too, leaving the booty behind him. <laughs> Got with much ease. Now, merrily to horse, the thieves are all scattered and possessed with fear, so strongly that they dare not meet each other. Each takes his fellow for an officer. Away, good Ned. Falstaff sweats to death and lards the lean earth as he walks along. Were it not for laughing, I should pity him. How the rogue, how the rogue roared. Exit. Scene three, War- Workworth Castle. Enter Hotspur, Solas, entering, reading a letter. But for mine own part, my lord, I could be well contented to be there in respect of the love I bear your house. He could be contented. <clears throat> Why is he not then? In respect of the love he bears our house, he shows in this he loves his own barn better than he loves our house. Let me see some more. The purpose you undertake is dangerous. Well, why that's certain. It's dangerous to take a cold, to sleep, to drink. But I tell you, my lord fool, out of this nettle danger we pluck this flower safety. <sighs> purpose you undertake is dangerous. The friends you have named uncertain, time itself unsorted, and the, your whole plot too light for the counterpose of so great an opposition. Say you so? Say you so! I say unto you again, you are a shallow, cowardly hind, and you lie. What a lack brain is this? By the Lord, our plot is as good a plot as ever was laid. Our friends, true and constant, a good plot, good friends, and full of expectation, an excellent plot, very good friends, but a frosty-spirited rogue is this. Why, my Lord of of York commends the plot and the general course of actions, and I were now by this rascal, I would brain him with his lady's fan. 
Is there not my father, my uncle, and myself, Lord Mortimer, my Lord of York, and Owen Glendower? Is, is, is there not besides the Douglas? Have I not had all their letters to meet me in arms by the ninth of next month, and are they not some of them set forward already? What a pagan rascal is this? An infidel! <laughs> you shall see now, in very sincerity of fear and cold heart, will he to the king and lay open all our proceedings. Oh, I could divide myself and go to buffets for moving such a dish of skim milk with some honourable in action. Hang him! Let him tell the king we are prepared. We'll set forward tonight. Dear Lady Percy. How now, Kate? I must leave you within these two hours. Oh. My good lord. Why are you thus alone? Still your line, Loren. Oh my god. <laughs> like a whole I'm killing scene. it. <laughs> killing it. Let me just take that again. Oh, my good lord, why are you thus alone? For what offense have I this night been a banished woman from my Harry's bed? Tell me, sweet lord, what is it that takes thee, that takes from thee thy stomach, pleasure, and thy golden sleep? Why dost thou bend thine eyes upon the earth and start so often when thou sitst alone? Why hast thou lost the fresh blood in thy cheeks and given my treasures and my rights of thee to thick-eyed musing and cursed melancholy? In thy faint slumbers, I by thee have watched and heard thee murmur tales of iron wars, speak terms of manage to thy bounding steed, cry, Courage to the field! And, and thou hast talked of sallies and retires, of trenches, tents, of palisados, frontiers, parapets, of basilisks, of cannon, culverin, of prisoners' ransom, and of soldiers slain, and all the currents of a heady fight. Thy spirit within thee hath been so at war, and thus hath so bestirred thee in thy sleep, that beads of sweat have stood upon thy brow like bubbles in a late disturbed stream, and thy face. Strange motions have appeared, such as we see when men restrain their breath on some great sudden hest. Oh, what portents are these? Some heavy business hath my lord in hand, and I must know it, else he loves me not. Enter a servant. What ho? Is Gilliam's with the packet gone? Oh. Is Gilliam's with the packet gone? He is, my lord, an hour ago. The butler brought those horses from the sheriff. Uh, one horse, my lord, he brought even now. What horse? A roan, a crop ear, is it not? It is, my lord. That roan shall be my throne. Well, I will back him straight. Oh, Esperance! Bid butler lead him forth into the park. Exit servant. But hear you, my lord. What sayest thou, my lady? What is it carries you away? Why, my horse, my love, my horse. Out, you mad-headed ape. A weasel hath not such a deal of spleen as you are tossed with. In faith, I'll know your business. Harry, that I will. I fear my brother Mortimer doth stir about his title and hath sent for you to line his enterprise. But if you go... Before a foot I shall be weary, love. 
come, come, you parakeeto. Answer me directly unto this question that I ask. In faith, I'll break thy little finger, Harry. And if thou wilt not tell me all things true. Away, away, you trifler. Love, I love thee not. I care not for thee, Kate. This is no world to play with mammets and to tilt with lips. They must have bloody noses and cracked crowns and pass them current too. God's me, my horse! What sayest thou, Kate? What wouldst thou have with me? Do you not love me? Do you not? Indeed. Well, do not then, for since you love me not, I will not love myself. Do you not love me? Nay, if you speak in jest or no, tell me. Come, wilt thou see me ride? When I am on horseback, I will swear I love thee infinitely. But hark you, Kate. I must not have you henceforth question me whither I go, nor reason whereabout. Whether I must, I must. To conclude, this evening must I leave you, gentle Kate. I know you wise, but yet no farther wise than Harry Percy's wife. Constant you are, but yet a woman, and for secrecy no lady closer. For well I believe thou wilt not utter what thou dost For well I believe thou wilt not utter what thou dost not know. And so far will I trust thee, gentle Kate. How? So far? Not an inch further. But hark you, Kate, whither I go, thither shall you go to. Tomorrow will I set forth, tomorrow you. Will this content you, Kate? It must, of force. Exunt, scene four, the Boar's Head Tavern, East Cheap. Enter Prince Henry in Poins. Oh, Ned, pretty, come in that fat room. Lend me thy hand to laugh a little. <laughs> Where has been how? Oh, with three or four loggerheads among three or four score of hogsheads. <laughs> I have sounded the very base string of humility. Sirrah, I am sworn brother to a leash of drawers and can call them all by their Christian names as Tom, Dick, and Francis. <laughs> <laughs> they take it already upon their salvation that though I be but the Prince of Wales, yet I am King of Courtesy. And tell me flatly, I am no proud Jack like Falstaff, but a Corinthian. A lad of metal, a good boy, by the Lord, so they call. And I am king of England. I shall command all the good lads in East Cheap. <laughs> they call drinking deep, dying scarlet. And when you breathe in your watering, they cry, <coughs> and bid you play it off. <laughs> to conclude, I am so a proficient in one quarter of an hour, that I can drink with any tinker in his own language during my life. Oh. I tell thee, Ned, thou hast <laughs> lost much honor, not with me in this sweet action, but, sweet Ned, to sweeten which mm -hmm. name of Ned, I give thee this pennyworth of sugar clapped even now in my hands oh. by an under skinker, one that never spake other English in his life than eight the shillings and the six a pence. And uh, you are welcome with this shrill addition. Anon, anon, good sir, score a pint of 
bastard in a half moon or so. But Ned, to drive away the time till Falstaff come, I pray thee, do thou stand in some by room while I question my puny drawer to what end he gave me the sugar. And do thou never leave calling Francis that his tale to me may be nothing but on on. Step aside, I'll show thee. <clears throat> Francis, oh, thou art perfect. <clears throat> Francis, exit points. Enter Francis. Anon, anon, sir. Look down into the palm garnet, Ralph. Come hither, Francis. My lord. How long hast thou to serve, Francis? Forsooth, five years, and as much as to... Francis! Anon, anon, sir. Five year, by your lady, a long, long lease for the thinking of future. But, Francis, darest thou be so valiant as to play that coward with thy indenture and show it a fair... Oh, Lord, sir, I'll be sworn upon all the books in England I could find in my heart. Francis! Anon, sir. Uh, how old art thou, Francis? Uh, let me see. About Michaelmas next, I shall be... Francis! Anon, sir. Pray stay a little, my lord. Nay, but hark you, Francis, for the sugar... Thou, twas a Bettyworth, was it not? Oh, Lord, I would it had been too. I will give thee for it a thousand pound. Ask me when thou wilt, and thou shalt have it. Francis. Anon, anon. Anon, Francis, no, Francis, but tomorrow, Francis, or Francis a Thursday, or indeed Francis when thou wilt be, but Francis. My lord? Wilt thou rob this leather, jerkin, crystal, button, not pated, agate ring, puke stocking, caddis garter, smooth tongue, Spanish pouch? <laughs> oh, Lord, sir, who do you mean? Why, then, your brown bastard is your only drink. For look, you, Francis, your canvas doublet was sullied in Barbary, sir. It cannot come to so much. What, sir? Francis! Away, you rogue! Dost thou not hear them call? Ha-da! Ha-da! They both call him. The drawer stands amazed, Francis. knowing which way to go. Francis! 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 Enter Francis! What? Standest thou still and hearing such a calling? Look to the guests within. Exit, Francis. <laughs> My lord, old Sir John, with a half a dozen more at the door, shall I let them in? Uh, let them alone a while and then open the door. Exit, Vintner. <clears throat> points. Re enter points. Anon, anon, what? sir. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sirrah, Falstaff and the rest of the thieves are at the door. Shall we be merry? As merry as uh, crickets, my lad, but hearty. 
What a cunning match have you made with this uh, just of the drawer? What's the issue? Uh, I am now since the old days of Goodman Adams, the pupil age of this present 12 o'clock at midnight. We enter Francis. <laughs> what's Francis? What's a, what's a clock, Francis? What's a clock, Francis? What's a clock, Francis? <laughs> anon, anon, sir. Exit. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> that ever this fellow should have fewer words than a parrot, and yet the son of a woman. <laughs> His industry is upstairs and downstairs. His eloquence, the parcel of a reckoning. I am not yet of Percy's mind, the hot spur of the North. He that kills me some six or seven dozen of Scots at a breakfast Ooh. washes his hands and says to his wife, Why upon this quiet life, I want work. Oh, sweet Harry, how many hast thou killed today? Give my roan horse a drench, says he, and answers, some 14. Ooh. An hour after, a trifle, a trifle. <laughs> oh. I pray call in false. Braun shall play Damer, his wife. <clears throat> Revo, says the drunkard. Call in ribs, call in tallow. Enter Falstaff, Gadshill, Bardolph, and Peto. Francis following with wine. Oh, welcome, Jack. Uh, where hast thou been? Oh, a plague of all cowards, I say, and a vengeance too. Marion, amen. Give me a cup of sack, boy. Ere I lead this life long, I'll sow nether stocks and mend them and foot too. A plague! Of all cowards. Give me a cup of sack, rogue. Is there a virtue extant? He drinks. Bishop, but pitiful hearted titan that melted at the sweet tale of the sons. If thou didst, then behold that compound. You rogue. Here's lime in this sack, too. There's nothing but roguery to be found in villainous man. Yet a coward... It's worse than a cup of sack with lime in it. A villainous coward. Go thy ways, old Jack. Die when thou wilt. If manhood, good manhood, be not forgot upon the face of the earth, and I am a shotten herring. There live not three good men unhanged in England. And one of them is fat and grows old. God help the while a bad world, I say. I would I were a weaver. I could sing psalms or anything, huh? A plague of all cowards, I say still. How now, Woolsack? What mutter you? A king's son. <laughs> if I do not beat thee out of thy kingdom with a dagger of lath and drive all thy subjects afore thee like a flock of wild geese, I'll never wear a hair on my face more, you prince of Wales. Why, you whoreson round man, what's the matter? Are you not a coward? 
answer me to that. And points there. Soon, ye fat paunch, and ye call me coward. By the Lord, I'll stab thee. I call thee coward. I'll see thee damned or I call thee coward, but I would give a thousand pound I could run as fast as thou canst. You are straight enough in the shoulders. You care not who sees your back. <laughs> call you that backing hmm, of your friends? A plague upon such backing. Give me them that will face me. Give me a cup of sack. I'm a rogue if I drunk today. Oh, villain, thy lips are scarce wiped since thou drunkest last. All's one for that. A plague of all cowards, still I say. What's the matter? What's the matter? There be four of us here obtain a thousand pounds this day morning. Oh, where is it, Jack? Where, where is, is it? it? Taken, from, taken from us, it is. A hundred upon poor four of us. What? A hundred, man. I am a rogue if I were not at half-sword with a dozen of them two hours together. Oh, I've escaped by miracle. I am eight times thrust through the doublet, four through the hose, my buckler cut through and through, my sword hacked like a handsaw, ecce signum. I never dealt better since I was a man. All would not do. A plague of all cowards. Oh, let them speak. They speak more or less the truth. They are villains and the sons of darkness. Speak, sirs. How was it? We four set upon some dozen. Sixteen, at least, my lord. And bound them. No, no. They were not bound. You rogue. They were bound, every man of them, or I am a Jew else, an Hebrew Jew. As we were sharing some six or seven fresh men set upon us. And unbound the rest, and then came in the other. What? Fought you with them all? All? I know not what you call all. If I fought not with 50 of them, I am a bunch of radish. (laughs) If there were not two or three and 50 upon poor old Jack, then I am no two-legged creature. Pray God you have not murdered some of them. Nay, that's past praying for. I have peppered two of them. Two I'm sure I have paid. Two rogues in buckram suits. I'll tell thee what, Hal. If I tell thee a lie, spit in my face. Call me horse. Thou knowst my old ward. Here I lay, and thus I bore my points. Four rogues in buckram led at me. Four? Thou saidst but two even now. Uh, four, Hal. I told thee four. Oh, I... Hmm. Aye, he, he said four. Okay. These four came all the front and mainly uh, thrust uh, at me. I made no more ado about it, but took all their seven points in my target thus. <laughs> seven? Why, there were but four even now. In Buckram. Oh, aye, uh, four in Buckram suits. Seven by these hilts, or I am a villain else. Prithee, let him alone. We shall have more anon. Dost thou hear me, Hal? Aye, and mark thee too, Jack. Do so, for it is worth listening to. These nine in Buckram that I told thee of. So two more already. Uh, their points being broken. Down fell their horse. Begin to their, give, hose. their hose. Begin to give me ground. But I followed me close, came in foot and hand, and with a thought seven of the eleven paid. Oh, monstrous, 11 buckram men grow out of two. But 
As the devil would have it, three misbegotten knaves in Kendall Green came at my back and let drive at me, for it was so dark how thou, thou couldst not see thine hand. These lies are like their father that begets them, gross as a mountain, open, palpable. Fly, thou clay-brained guts, thou naughty-patted fool, thou horson, obscene, grease, tallow, cat. What? Art thou mad? Art thou mad? Is not the truth the truth? Why, how couldst thou know these men in Kendall Green, when it was so dark thou couldst not see thy hand? Come, tell us your reason. What sayest thou to this? Come, come. Uh, your reason, Jack. Your reason. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, upon compulsion? <clears throat> Zounds. If I were at the Strapado, or all the racks of the world, I would not tell you on compulsion. Give you a reason on compulsion. If reasons were as plentiful as blackberries, I would no more give her. I would give no man a reason upon compulsion. I. Uh, no longer guilty of this sin. Howard, this bed messer, this backbreaker, this huge hill of flesh. This blood, you starveling, you elf skin, you dried neat's tongue, you bull's prize, you stock fish. Oh, breath to utter what it is like. You tailor's yard, you sheath, you bowcase, you vile standing tuck. Well, breathe a while, and then to it again. And when thou hast tired thyself in base comparisons, hear me speak but this. Mark. Mark, Jack. We, too, saw you four set on four and bound them, and were masters of their wealth. Mark now how a plain tale shall put you down. Then did we too set on you four with the word outfaced you from your prize and have it, <laughs> yea, and can show it you here in the house. <laughs> and Falstaff, you carried your guts away as nimbly with as quick dexterity and roared for mercy and still running roared as ever I heard bullcalf. What a slave art thou to hack thy sword as thou hast done and then say it was a fight. Mm. What trick, what device, what Starting hole, canst thou now find out to hide thee from this open and apparent shame? Come, let's hear, Jack. What trick hast thou now? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the Lord, I knew ye as well as he that made ye. Oh. Why, hear you, my masters? Was it for me to kill the heir apparent? Should I turn upon the true prince? Why, thou knowest I am as valiant as Hercules, but <laughs> beware instinct. The lion will not touch the true prince. Mm. (laughs) Instinct is a great matter. I was now a coward on instinct. (laughs) I shall think the better of myself and thee during my life. I for a valiant lion and you a true prince. But by the Lord, lads, I'm glad you have the money. Hostess, clap to the doors. Watch tonight, pray tomorrow. Gallants, lads, boys. Heart of gold and all the titles of good fellowship with you. What? 
Shall we be merry? Shall we have a play, extempore? <laughs> Content. And the argument shall be thy running away. Ah, <laughs> uh, no more of that, Hal, and thou loves me. Enter right. hostess. <laughs> oh, Jesu, my lord, the prince. How now, my lady, the hostess? What sayest thou to me? Mary, my lord, there is a nobleman of court at the door that would speak with you. He says he comes from your father. Mm. Give him as much as will make him a royal man and send him back again to my mother. <laughs> what a manner of man is he? An old man? Uh, what doth gravity out of his bed at midnight? Shall I give him his answer? Prithee do, Jack. Faith, and I'll send him packing. Exit Falstaff. <laughs> now, sir, by your lady, you fought fair. So did you, Petter. So did you, Bardolf. You are lions, too. You ran away upon instinct. You will not touch the true prince. <laughs> no, fine. Faith, I ran when I saw others run. Faith, tell me now in earnest, how came Falstaff's sword so hacked? I... He hacked it with his dagger. And said he would swear truth out of England, but he would make you believe it was done in fight and persuaded us to do the like. <laughs> Yay, and to tickle our noses with spear grass to make them bleed. And then to be slubber our garments with it and, and swear it was the blood of true men. I did that I did not this seven year before. I, I blushed to hear that his monstrous devices. Oh, <laughs> villain! Thou stolest a cup of sack 18 years ago and were taken with the manor. And ever since thou hast blushed extempore, thou hadst fire and sword on thy side, and yet thou ranest away? What instinct hast thou for it? My lord. Do you see these meteors? Do you behold these exhalations? Uh, yeah, I do. What think you they pretend? Mm, hot livers and cold purses. Kohler, my lord, if rightly taken. No, if rightly taken, halter. Re-enter Falstaff. Here comes lean Jack, here comes bare bones. How now, my sweet creature of bombast? How long is to go, Jack, since thou sawest thy own knee? <laughs> He's fallen asleep. Uh, He's, on yeah. He's on mute. <laughs> <laughs> my own muted knee. When I was about thy years, Hal, I was not an eagle's talon in the waist. I could have crept into any alderman's thumb ring. A plague of sighing and grief. It blows a man up like a bladder. There's villainous news abroad. Here was Sir John Bracy from your father. You must to the court in the morning. Mm. That same mad fellow of the North, Percy, and he of Wales that gave Amamon the bastinado and made Lucifer cuckold and swore the devil is true liegeman upon the cross of a Welsh hook? What, what a plague call you him. Oh, uh, Glendower. Owen. 
Owen, the same, and his son-in-law Mortimer in old Northumberland, and that sprightly Scott of Scots Douglas mm. that runs a horseback up a hill perpendicular. He that rides at high speed and with his pistol kills a sparrow flying. You have hit it. So, did he never the sparrow? Well, that rascal hath good metal in him. He will not run. Why, what a rascal. Art thou then to praise thee for running? A horseback, he cucko, but a foot, he will not budge a foot. Yes, Jack, upon instinct. I grant ye upon instinct. Well, he is there too, and one Mordecai, and a thousand blue caps more. Worcester is stolen away tonight. Thy father's beard is turned white with the news. You may buy land now as cheap as stinking mackerel. Why, then, it is like if there come a hot June and the civil buffeting hold, we shall buy maiden heads as they buy hobnails by the hundreds. By the mass, lad, thou sayest true. It is like we shall have good trading in that way. But tell me, Hal, are you not horrible afeard? Thou being heir apparent, could the world pick out three such enemies again as that fiend Douglas, that spirit Percy, and that devil Glendower? Art thou not horribly afraid? Would not thy blood thrill at it? Not a whit, if faith. I lack some of thy instinct. <sighs> well, thou wert to be horribly chid tomorrow when thou comest to thy father. If thou love me, practice an answer. Do thy stand for my father and examine me upon the particulars of my life? Shall I? <clears throat> Content. This chair shall be my state, this dagger, my scepter, and this cushion, my crown. <laughs> <laughs> Thy state is taken for a joined stool, thy golden scepter for a leaden dagger, and thy precious rich crown for a pitiful bald crown. Well, and the fire of grace be not quite out of thee, now thou shalt be moved. Give me a cup of sack, make my eyes look red, that it may be thought I have wept, for I must speak in passion. I will do it in King Cambus's vein. Well, <clears throat> here is my leg. And here is my speech. Stand aside, nobility. What do you think? <laughs> I think it's excellent sport. <laughs> Faith. Faith. Weep not, sweet queen, for trickling tears are vain. Oh, father, how he holds his countenance. For God's sake, lords, <laughs> convey my tristful queen. For tears do stop the floodgates of her eyes. Oh, Jesu, he doth it as like one of those harlotry players as ever I see. Peace, but pipe pot peace, good tickle brain. <clears throat> Harry, I do not only marvel where thou spendest thy time, but also how thou art accompanied. For though the chamomile, the more it is trodden on, the faster it grows, yet youth the more it is wasted, the sooner it wears. But thou art my son. I have partly thy mother's word, partly my own opinion, but chiefly a villainous trick of thine eye and a foolish hanging over thy nether lip. 
that doth warrant me. If then thou be son to me, here lies the point. Why, being son to me, art thou so pointed at? Shall the blessed son of heaven prove a mica and eat blackberries? A question not to be asked. <laughs> Shall the son of England prove a thief and take purses? A question to be asked. There is a thing, Harry, which thou hast often heard of, and it is known to many in our land by the name of pitch. This pitch, as ancient writers do report, doth defile, so doth the company thou keepest. For, Harry, now I do not speak to thee in drink, but in tears, not in pleasure, but in passion, not in words only, but in woes also. And yet... There is a virtuous man whom I have often noted in thy company, but I, I know not his name. Uh, what manner of man? And it like your majesty. Good, portly man in faith, and a, and a corpulent, of, of a cheerful look, pleasing eye, and most noble carriage, and as I think, his age some fifty, or by a lady inclined to threescore. And now I remember me, his name is Falstaff. If that man should be lewdly given, he deceiveth me, for Harry, I see virtue in his looks. And then the tree may be known by the fruit as the fruit by the tree. Then, preemptorily I speak it, there is a virtue in that Falstaff. Him keep with the rest, banish, and tell me now, thou naughty varlet, tell me, where hast thou been this month? Dost thou speak like a king? Uh, do thou stand for me, and I'll play my father. Depose <clears throat> me. If thou dost it half so gravely, so majestically, both in word and matter, hang me up by the heels for a rabbit sucker or a polter's hair. <clears throat> well, here I am set. And here I stand. Judge, my masters. <clears throat> Now, Harry, whence came you? Uh, my noble lord from Eastcheap. Mm, the complaints I hear of thee are grievous. It's blood, my lord, they are false. Nay, I'll tickle ye for a young prince of faith. No, swearest thou, ungracious boy? Henceforth, ne'er look on me. Thou art violently carried away from grace. There is a devil haunts thee in the likeness of an old fat man. A ton of man is thy companion. Why dost thou converse with that trunk of humors, that bulging hunch of beastliness, that swollen parcel of dropsies, that huge bombard of sack, that stuffed clogged bag of guts, that roasted manning tree ox with the pudding in his belly, that reverend vice, that graying quitty, that father ruffian, that vanity in years. Wherein is he good but to taste sack and drink it? Wherein neat and cleanly but to carve a capon and eat it? Wherein cunning but in craft? Wherein crafty but in villainy? Wherein villainous but in all things? Wherein worthy but in nothing? Hmm? Uh, would your grace would take me with you whom means your grace? That villainous, abominable, demisleader of youth, Falstaff, flat old white-bearded Satan. My lord, the man I know. I know thou dost. 
But to say I know more harm in him than in myself, were to say more than I know, that he is old, well, the more the pity his white hairs do witness it, but that he is, saving a reverence, a whoremaster, that I utterly deny. <laughs> if sack and sugar be a fault, God help the wicked. To be old and marry be a sin, then many an old host that I know is damned. If to be fat is to be hated, then Pharaoh's lean kind are to be loved. No! Good, my lord, banish Cato, banish Bardolph, banish Poins. But for sweet Jack Falstaff, kind Jack Falstaff, true Jack Falstaff, valiant Jack Falstaff, and therefore more valiant being as he is old. Jack Falstaff, banish him not thy Harry's company. Banish him, banish plump Jack, banish all the world. <laughs> I, I do. Oh. I will. Knocking heard. Exent hostess Francis and Bardolph re-enter Bardolph running. Oh, my lord, my lord, the, the sheriff with a most monstrous watch is at the door. Out, ye rogue. Play out the play. I have much to say in the behalf of that Falstaff. Re-enter the hostess. Jesus, my lord, my lord. Hey, hey, the devil rides upon a fiddlestick. What's the matter? The sheriff and all the watch are at the door. They are to come search the house. Shall I let them in? Is thou here, Hal? Never call a true piece of gold a counterfeit. Thou art essentially mad without seeming so. And thou art a natural coward without instinct. I deny your major, if you will deny the sheriff so. If not, let him enter. If I can become not a cart as well as another man, a plague upon my bringing up. I hope I shall as soon be strangled with a halter as another. Go hide thee behind the heiress. The rest... Walk up above. Now, my masters, for a true face and good conscience. Both of which I have had, but their date is out, and therefore I will hide me. <clears throat> Call in the sheriff. Exent all except Prince Henry and Pato. Enter uh, sheriff and the carrier. How? Oh, I didn't hear the sheriff. Oh, you still have uh, the oh, sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> now, Master Sheriff, what is your will with me? First, pardon me, my lord. A hue and a cry have followed certain men unto this house. What men? One of them is well known, my gracious lord, a gross fat man. As fat as butter. The man, I do assure you, is not here. For I myself at this time have employed him. And, Sheriff, I will engage my word to thee that I will, by tomorrow dinner time, send him to answer thee or any man for anything he shall be charged with all. And so, let me entreat you to leave this house. I will, my lord. Uh, there are two gentlemen have in this robbery lost 300 marks. It may be so. If he have robbed these men, he shall be answerable. And so farewell. Good night, my noble lord. I think it good morrow, is it not? 
Indeed, my lord. I think it'd be two o'clock. <laughs> Sheriff and carrier. This oily rascal is known as well as Paul's. Go, call him forth. Paul Staff! Fast asleep behind the heiress and snorting like a horse. Hark! How hard he fetches breath! Search his pockets. He searches his pockets and finds certain papers. What hast thou found? Nothing but papers, my lord. Oh, let's see what they be. Read them. <clears throat> item, a cap on. Uh, item, sauce. Item, sack, two gallons. Item, anchovies and sack after supper. Item, bread. Oh, monstrous. But one half penny worth of bread to this intolerable deal of sack? What there is else, keep close. We'll read it at a more advantage. There, let him sleep till day. I'll to the court in the morning. We must all to wars, and thy place shall be honorable. I'll procure this fat rogue a charge of foot, and I know his death will be a march of twelve score. The money shall be paid back again with advantage. Be with me betimes in the morning, and so, good morrow, Peter. Good morrow, sir. Good morrow, good my lord. <laughs> Excellent. Act three, scene one. Uh, Bangor, the Archdeacon's house. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, Mortimer, and Glendower. These promises are fair, the party's sure, and our induction full of prosperous hope. Lord Mortimer and cousin Glendower, will you sit down? And Uncle Worcester, plague upon it, I forgot the map. No, here it is. Sit, cousin Percy. Sit, good cousin Hotspur. For by that name, as oft as Lancaster doth speak of you, his cheeks look pale, and with a rising sigh, he wisheth you in heaven. And you in hell, as oft as he hears Owen Glendower spoke of. I cannot blame him. At my nativity, the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes of burning cressets. And at my birth... The frame and huge foundation of the earth shaped like a coward. Why, so it would have done at the same season if your mother's cat had but kittened, though yourself had never been born. I say, the earth did shake when I was born. And I say, the earth was not of my mind, if you suppose, as fearing you it shook. The heavens were all on fire. The earth did tremble. Oh, then the earth shook to see the heavens on fire and not in fear of your nativity. Diseased nature oft times breaks forth in strange eruptions. Oft the teeming earth is with a kind of colic, pinched and vexed by the imprisoning of unruly wind within her womb, which, for enlargement striving, shakes the old beldam earth and topples down steeples and moss-grown towers. At your birth, our grandam earth having this distemper in passion shook. Cousin, of many men I do not bear these crossings. Give me leave to tell you once again that at my birth the front of heaven was full of fiery shapes. The goats ran from the mountains, and the herds were strangely clamorous to the frighted fields. These signs have marked me extraordinary. And all the courses of my life to show I am not in the role of common men. Where is he living, 
clipped in with the sea that shides the banks of England, Scotland, Wales, which calls me pupil, or hath read to me. And bring him out, that is but woman's son, can trace me in the tedious ways of art, and hold me pace in deep experiments. I think there's no man speaks better Welsh. I'll to dinner. Peace. Cousin Percy, you will make him mad. I can call spirits from the vasty deep. Why, so can I, or so can any man. But will they come when you do call for them? Why, I can teach you, cousin, to command the devil. And I can teach thee, cuz, to shame the devil by telling truth. Tell truth and shame the devil. If thou have power to raise him, bring him hither, and I'll be sworn I have power to shame him hence. While you live, tell truth and shame the devil. Come, come, no more of this unprofitable chat. Three times hath Henry Bolingbroke made head against my power. Thrice from the banks of Wye and Sandybottom Severn have I sent him bootless home and weather-beaten back. Home without boots and in foul weather too, how he scapes his agues in the devil's name. Come, here's the map. Shall we divide our right according to our threefold ortain? The archdeacon hath divided it into three limits very equally. England from Trent and Severn hitherto, by south and east is to my part assigned. All westward, Wales beyond the Severn shore, and all the fertile land within that bound to Owen Glendower. And dear cuz, to you, the remnant northward, lying off from Trent, and our indentures, Triparty, are drawn, which being sealed interchangeably, a business that this night may execute tomorrow, cousin Percy, you and I and my good lord of Worcester will set forth to meet your father in Scottish power as is appointed us at Trewsbury. My father Glendower is not ready yet, not, not shall we need this, his help these 14 days. Within that space you may have drawn together your tenants, friends, and neighboring gentlemen. A shorter time shall send me to you, lords, and in my conduct shall your ladies come, from whom you now must steal and take no leave. For there will be a world of watershed upon the parting of your wives from you. Uh, methinks my moiety north from Burton here in quantity equals not one of yours. See how this river comes me cranking in and cuts me from the best of all my land? A huge half moon, a monstrous cantle out. I'll have the current in this place dammed up, and here the smug and silver trench shall run in a new channel, fair and evenly. It shall not wind with such a deep indent to rob me of so rich a bottom here. Not wind. It shall. It must. You see it doth. Yea, but mark how he bears his course and runs me up with like advantage on the other side, gelding the opposed continent as much as on the other side it takes from you. Yea, but a little charge will trench him here, and on this north side win this cape of land. And then he runs straight and even. I'll have it so. A little charge will do it. I'll not have it altered. Will not you? No, nor you shall not. Who shall say me nay? Why, that will I. Well, let me not understand you then. Speak it in Welsh. I can speak English, Lord, as well as you. For I was trained up in the English court, where being but young, I framed to the harp many an English ditty lovely well, and gave the tongue a helpful ornament, 
a virtue that was never seen in you. Mary, and I am glad of it with all my heart. I had rather be a kitten and, and cry mew than one of these same meter ballad mongers. I'd rather hear a brazen can stick turned or dry wheel grate on the axle tree. And that would set my teeth, nothing on edge, nothing so much mincing poetry. It's like the forced gait of a shuffling nag. Come, you shall have Trent turn. I do not care. I'll give thee thrice so much land to any well-deserving friend. But in the way of bargain, mark ye me, I'll cavil on the ninth part of a hair. Are the indentures drawn? Shall we be gone? The moon shines fair. You may away by night. I'll haste the writer, and withal break with your wives of your departure hence. I am afraid my daughter will run mad, so much she doteth on her Mortimer. Exit Glendower. Bye, cousin Percy. How you cross my father. I cannot choose. Sometime he angers me with telling me of the Moldwarp and the ant, of the dreamer Merlin and his prophecies, and of a dragon and a finless fish, a clip-winged griffin and, the, and a molten raven, a, a couching lion and a ramping cat, and such a deal of skimble-scamble stuff as puts me from my faith. I, I tell you what, he held me last night at least nine hours in reckoning up the several devil's name that were his lackeys. I cried, hum, and, and well go too, but marked him not a word. He is as tedious as a tired horse, a railing wife, worse than a smoky house. I, I had rather live with cheese and garlic in a windmill far than feed on cates and have him talk to me in any summer house in Christendom. In faith, he is a very worthy gentleman, exceedingly well-read and profited in strange concealments, valiant as a lion and as wondrous affable and as bountiful as mines of India. Shall I tell you, cousin? He holds your temper in a high respect and curbs himself even of his natural scope when you come across his humor. Faith, he does. I warrant you that a man is not alive might so have tempted him as you have done without the taste of danger and reproof, but do not use it oft. Let me entreat you. In faith, my lord, you are too willful blame. And since you're coming hither, have done enough to put him quite beside his patience. You must needs learn, Lord, to amend this fault, though sometimes it show greatness, courage, blood. And that's the dearest grace it renders you, yet oftentimes it doth present harsh, harsh rage, defect of manners, want of government, pride, haughtiness, opinion, and disdain. The least of which, haunting a nobleman, looseth men's hearts and leaves behind a stain upon the beauty of all parts besides, beguiling them of commendation. Well, I am schooled. Good manners be your speed. Here come our wives, and let us take our leave. Re-enter Glendower with the ladies. This is the deadly spite that angers me. Ugh. My wife can speak no English. I, no Welsh. My daughter weeps. She will not part with you. She'll be a soldier too. She'll to the wars. Good father, tell her that she and my Aunt Percy shall follow in your conduct speedily. Glendower speaks to her in Welsh, and she answers him in the same. She is desperate here, a peevish, self-wind harlotry, one that no persuasion can do good upon. The lady speaks in Welsh. I understand thy looks, that pretty Welsh which 
thou pourest down from these swelling heavens. I am too perfect in, and but for shame in such a parlay should I answer thee. Lady speaks again in Welsh. I understand thy kisses, and thou mine, and that's a feeling of disputation. But I will never be a truant, love, till I have learned thy language, for thy tongue makes Welsh as sweet as Ditty's highly penned, sung by a fair queen in a summer's bower, with ravishing division to her lute. Nay, if you melt, then she will run mad. Lady speaks again in Welsh. No, I am ignorant itself in this. She bids you on the wanton rushes lay you down and rest your gentle head upon her lap. And she will sing the song that pleaseth you and on your eyelids crown the god of sleep, charming your blood with pleasing heaviness, making such difference twixt wake and sleep as is the difference betwixt day and night, the hour before the heavenly harness team begins his golden progress in the east. With all my heart, I'll sit and hear her sing. By that time will our book, I think, be drawn. Do so. And those musicians that shall play to you hang in the air a thousand leagues from hence, and straight they shall be here. Sit and attend. Come, Kate, thou art perfect in lying down. Come, quick, quick, that I may lie my head in your lap. Go, ye giddy goose. The music plays. Now I perceive the devil understands Welsh. Tis no marvel he is so humorous, for our lady is a good musician. Then you should be nothing but musical, for you are altogether governed by humors. Lie still, ye thief. Hear the lady sing in Welsh. I'd rather hear lady, my brack, howl in Irish. Wouldst thou have thy head broken? No. Then be still. Neither, tis a woman's fault. Now God help thee. To the Welsh lady's bed. What's that? Peesh, she sings. Here the lady sings a Welsh song. Come, Kate, I'll have your song too. Not mine, in good sooth. Not yours, in good sooth. Heart, you swear like a comfit maker's wife. Not you, in good sooth. And as true as I live, and as God shall mend me, and as sure as day, give such sa- sassernet, sarsernet surety for thy oaths, as, as if thou never walkst further than Finsbury, swear me, Kate, that like a lady as thou art, a good mouth-filling oath, and leave in sooth as such protest of pepper gingerbread to velvet guards and Sunday citizens. Come, sing. I will not sing. It's the next way to turn tailor or be red-breast teacher. Indentures be drawn all away within these two hours. So come in when you will. will. Exit. Come, come, Lord Mortimer. You are as slow as hot Lord Percy is on fire to go. By this our book is drawn. We'll but steal, and then to horse immediately. With all my heart. Exent. Scene two, London, the palace. Enter King Henry IV, Prince Henry, and others. Lords, give us leave. Prince of Wales and I must have some private conference. But be near at hand, for we shall presently have need for you. Exent, Lord. I know not whether God will have it so for some displeasing service I have done that in his secret doom out of my blood he'll breed revengement and a scourge for me. But thou dost in thy passages of life make me believe 
that thou art only marked for the hot vengeance and the rod of heaven to punish my mistreadings. Tell me else, could such inordinate and low desires, such poor, such bare, such lewd, such mean attempts, such barren pleasures, rude society as thou art matched with all and grafted to, accompany the greatness of thy blood and hold their level with my princely heart? So please your majesty, I would I could quit all offenses with as clear excuse as well as I am doubtless, I can purge myself of many, I am charged with all. Yet such extenuation, let me beg, as in reproof of many tales devised, which oft the ear of greatness needs must hear, by smiling, pick thanks, and base news mongers. I may for some things true, wherein my youth hath faulty wandered and irregular, find pardon on my true submission. God pardon thee, yet let me wonder, Harry, at thy affections, which do hold a wing quite from the flight of all thy ancestors. Thy place in council thou hast rudely lost, which by thy younger brother is supplied, and, and art almost an alien to the hearts of all the court and princes of my blood. The hope and expectation of thy time is ruined, and the soul of every man prophetically doth forthink thy fall. Had I so lavish of my presence been, so common, hackneyed in the eyes of men, so stale and cheap to vulgar company, opinion that did help me to the crown, had still kept loyal to possession and left me in reputeless banishment, a fellow of no mark nor likelihood? By being seldom seen, I could not stir, but like a comet I was wondered at. That men would tell their children, this is he. Others would say, where? Which is Bolingbroke? And then I stole all courtesy from heaven and dressed myself in such humility that I did pluck allegiance from men's hearts. Loud shouts and salutations from their mouths, even in the presence of the crowned king. Thus did I keep my person fresh and new, my presence like a lobe, a robe pontifical, ne'er seen but wondered at, and so my state, seldom but sumptuous, showed like a feast, and won by rareness such solemnity. The skipping king, he ambled up and down with shallow gestures and rash baven wits, soon kindled and soon burnt, carded his state, mingled his royalty with capering fools, had his great name profaned with their scorns and gave his countenance against his name to laugh at jibing boys and stand the push of every beardless vain comparative, grew a companion to the common streets and foffed himself to popularity, that being daily swallowed by men's eyes, they surfeited with honey and began to loathe the taste of sweetness, whereof a little more than a little is by much too much. So when he had occasion to be seen, he was but as the cuckoo is in June, heard, not regarded, seen, but with such eyes as sick and blunted with community, afforded no extraordinary gaze, such as is the bent on sun-like majesty when it shines seldom in admiring eyes, but rather drowsed and hung their eyelids down slept in his face and rendered such aspect as cloudy men used to their adversaries. Being with his presence glutted, gorged, and full. And in that very line, Harry, standest thou, 
For thou hast lost thy princely privilege with vile participation, not an eye, but is a weary of thy common sight, save mine, which hath desired to see thee more, which now doth that I would not have it do, make blind itself with foolish tenderness. I shall hereafter, my thrice gracious Lord, be more myself. For all the world as thou art to this hour was richer then when I from France set foot at Ravensburg, and even as I was then is Percy now. Now by my scepter and my soul to boot, he hath more worthy interest to the state than thou the shadow of succession. For of no right nor color like to right, he doth fill fields with harness in the realm, turn head against the lion's arm jaws, and being no more in debt to years than thou, leads ancient lords and reverend bishops on to bloody battles and to bruising arms. What never dying honor hath he got against renowned Douglas, whose high deeds, whose hot incursions and great name in arms holds from all soldiers, chief majority and military title, capital through all the kingdoms that acknowledge Christ. Thrice hath his hotspur, Mars in swaddling clothes, this infant warrior in his enterprises discomforted great Douglas, stained him once, enlarged him and made him a friend of mine to fill the mouth of deep defiance up and shake the peace and safety of our throne. And what say you to this? Percy, Northumberland, the Archbishop's Grace of York, Douglas, Mortimer, capitulate against us and are up. But wherefore do I tell these news to thee? Why, Harry, do I tell thee of my foes, which art my nearest and dearest enemy? Thou that art like enough through vassal fear, base inclination, and the start of spleen to fight against me under Percy's pay, to dog his heels and curtsy at his frowns, to show how much thou art degenerate. Do not think so. You shall not find it so. And God forgive them that so much have swayed your majesty's good thoughts away from me. I will redeem all this on Percy's head, and in the closing of some glorious day, be bold to tell you that I am your son. When I will wear a garment of all blood and stain my favors in a bloody mask, which washed away shall scour my shame with it, and that shall be the day when e'er it lights that this same child of honor and renown, this gallant hotspur, this all praise at night, and your unthought of Harry chance to meet. For every honor sitting on his helm, would there were multitudes, and on my head my shame's redoubled, for the time will come that I shall make this northern youth exchange his glorious deeds for my indignities. Percy is but a factor, good my lord, to engross upon glorious deeds on my behalf. And I will call him to so strict account that he shall render every glory up, yea, even the slightest worship of his time, or I will tear reckoning from his heart this in the name of god i promise thee the which if he be pleased i shall perform 
I do beseech your majesty may salve the long-grown wounds of my intemperance. If not, the end of life cancels all bands, and I will die a hundred thousand deaths ere break the smallest parcel of this vow. A hundred thousand rebels die in this. Thou shalt have charge and sovereign trust herein. Enter Blunt. How now, good Blunt? Thy looks are full of speed. So hath the business that I come to speak of. Lord Mortimer of Scotland has sent word that Douglas and the English rebels met the 11th of this month at Shrewsbury. A mighty and a fearful head they are, if promises be kept on every hand, as ever offered foul play in a state. The Earl of Westmoreland set forth today, with him my son, Lord John of Lancaster, for this advertisement is five days old. On Wednesday next, Harry, you shall set forward. On Thursday, we ourselves will march. Our meeting is Bridge North, and Harry, you shall march through Gloucestershire, by which account our business valued, some twelve days hence, our general forces at Bridge North shall meet. Our hands are full of business. Let's away. Advantage feeds him fat while men delay. Exunt, scene three, East Cheap, the Boar's Head Tavern, enter Falstaff and Bardolph. Bardolph, am I not fallen away wildly since this last action? Uh, do I not bait? Do I not dwindle? Why, my skin hangs about me like an old lady's loose gown. I am withered like an old apple, John. Well, I'll repent, and that suddenly, while I am in some liking, I shall be out of heart shortly, and then I shall have no strength to repent. And I have not forgotten what the inside of a church is made of. I am a peppercorn, a brewer's horse. The inside of a church? Company! Villainous company hath been the spoil of me. Sir John, you are so fretful. You cannot live long. Why... There it is. Come, sing me a body song. Make me marry. I was as virtuously given as a gentleman need to be. Virtuous enough. Swore little. Diced not above seven times a week. Went to a body house once in a quarter of an hour. Paid money that I borrowed three or four times. Lived well and in good compass. And now I live all out of order. Out of all compass. Why, you are so fat, Sir John, that you must needs be out of all compass. Out of all reasonable compass, Sir John. Do thou amend thy face, and I'll amend my life. Thou art our admiral. Thou bearest the lantern in the poop. But tis the nose of thee. Thou art the knight of the burning lamp. Why, Sir John, my face does you no harm. No. I'll be sworn. I make as good use of it as many man doth of a death's head or a memento mori. I never see thy face, but I think upon hellfire and dives that lived in purple. For there he is in his robes, burning, burning. If thou wert any way given to virtue, I would swear by thy face. My oath should be by this fire. That's God's angel. But thou art altogether given over. Thou wert, indeed. But for the light of thy face, the sun of utter darkness. When thou rannest up Gadshill in the night to catch my horse, if I did not think thou hadst been an ignis fatuous or ball of wildfire, there's no purchase in money. Oh, 
Thou art a perpetual triumph, an everlasting bonfire light. Thou hast saved me a thousand marks and links and torches, walking with thee in the night betwixt tavern and tavern. But the sack that thou hast drunk me would have bought me lights as good cheap as the dearest chandlers in Europe. I have maintained that salamander of yours with fire any time this two and thirty years. God reward me for it. Oh, it's blood. I would my face were in your belly. God of mercy, so should I be sure to be heartburned? And your hostess. Oh, now, Dame Partlet the Hen, have you inquired yet who picked my pocket? Why, Sir John, what do you think, Sir John? Do you think I keep thieves in my house? I have searched, I have inquired, so has my husband. Man by man, boy by boy, servant by servant. The tithe of a hair was never lost in my house before. Ye lie, hostess. Bardolph was shaved and lost many a hair, and I'll swore I'll be sworn my pocket was picked. Go to, you are a woman. Go. Who, I? No, I defy thee. God's light, I was never called it called so in mine own house before. Go to, I know you well enough. No, Sir John. You do not know me, Sir John. I know you, Sir John. You owe me money, Sir John. And now you pick a quarrel to beguile me of it. I bought you a dozen of shirts to your back. Dowless, filthy Dowless. I've given them away to bakers' wives, and they've made bolters of them. Now, I am a tr- as I am a true woman, Holland of eight shillings an ell, you, mon- you owe money here besides, Sir John, for your diet and buy drinkings, and money lent you four and twenty pound. Uh, he, he had his part of it. Let him pay. He? Alas, he is poor. He has nothing. <laughs> poor? Look upon his face. What call you rich? Let them coin his nose. Let them coin his cheeks. I'll not pay a denier. What? Will you make a yunker of me? Shall I not take my case in mine inn, but I shall have my pocket picked? I've lost a seal ring of my grandfather's, worth forty mark. Ah, oh, Jesu. I've heard the prince tell him I know not how oft that ring was copper. How? The prince is a jack, a sneak cup's blood. And he were here, I would cudgel him like a dog, if he would say so. Ah, uh, how now, lad? Is the wind in the door of faith? Must we all march? Yea, two and two. Newgate fashion. My lord, I pray you hear me. What sayest thou, mistress Quickly? How doth thy husband? I love him well. He is an honest man. Good lord, good my lord, hear me. Prithee, let her alone and listen to me. What sayest thou, Jack? The other night I fell asleep here behind the heiress and had my pocket picked. This house is turned body house. They pick pockets. What didst thou lose, Jack? Wilt thou believe me, Hal? Three or four bonds of forty pound apiece and a seal ring of my grandfather's. A trifle, some eight penny manner. So I told him, my lord, and I said I heard your grace say so. And, my lord, he speaks most vilely of you like a foul-mouthed man as he is. And he said he would cuddle, cudgel you. What? He did not. There's neither faith, truth, nor womanhood in me else. <laughs> There's no more faith in me than in a stewed prune, nor no more truth in me than a drawn fox, and for womanhood... Maid Marion may be the deputy's wife of the ward to thee. Go, you thing, go. Say, what thing? What thing? What thing? Why, a thing to thank God on. I am no thing to thank God on, and 
I would, I would thou shouldst know it. I am an honest man's wife, and setting thy knighthood aside, thou art a knave to call me so. Setting thy womanhood aside, thou art a beast to say otherwise. Say what beast thou knave thou. What beast? Why, uh, an otter. An otter, Sir John. Why an otter? Why, she's neither fish nor flesh. A man knows not where to have her. Thou art an unjust man in saying so. Thou or any man who knows where to have me, thou knave thou. That say is true, hostess, and he slanders thee most grossly. So, so he doth you, my lord, and say, said this other day, you ought him a thousand pound. Sirrah, do I owe you a thousand pound? A thousand pound? Ha! A million. Thy love is worth a million. Thou owest me thy love. Nay, my lord, he called you Jack and said he would cudgel you. Hmm. Did, did I, Bardolph? Indeed, Sir John, you said so. Yea, if he said my ring was copper. I say tis copper. Darest thou be as good as thy word now? Why, how thou knowest, as thou art but a man, I dare, but as thou art a prince, I fear thee as I fear the roaring of a lion's whelp. And why not as the lion? Oh, the king is to be feared as the lion. Dost thou think I'll fear thee as I fear thy father? Nay, and I do, I pray God my girdle break. Oh, if it should, how would thy guts fall about thy knees? But, Sirrah, there's no room for faith, truth, nor honesty in this bosom of thine. It is all filled up with guts and midriff. Charge an honest woman with picking thy pocket. Why, you whoreson, impudent, embossed rascal, if there were anything in thy pocket but tavern reckonings, memorandums of body houses, and one poor penny worth of sugar candy to make thee long-winded, if thy pocket were enriched with any other injuries but these, I am a villain. And yet you will stand too if I will not pocket up wrong? Art thou not ashamed? Dost thou hear how thou knowest in the state of innocency Adam fell, and what should poor Jack Falstaff do in the days of villainy? Thou seest I have more flesh than another man, and therefore more frailty. You confess, then, you picked my pocket? It appears so by the story. <sighs> Hostess, I forgive thee. Go make ready breakfast. Love thy husband, look to thy servants, cherish thy guests. Thou shalt find me tractable to any honest reason. Thou seest I am pacified still. Nay, prithee be gone. Exit hostess. Now, Hal, to the music court. For the robbery, lad, how is that answered? Oh, my sweet beef, I must still be a good angel to thee. The money is paid back again. Oh, I do not like paying that back. Tis a double labor. I am good friends with my father and may do anything. <laughs> Rob me the exchequer the first thing thou dost, and do it with unwashed hands, too. Do, my lord. I have procured thee, Jack, a charge of foot. Oh, I would it had been of horse. Where shall I find one that can steal well? Oh, for a fine thief. The age of two and twenty or thereabouts. I'm heinously unprovided. Well, God be thanked for these rebels. They offend none but the virtuous. I laud them. I praise them. Bardock! My lord. Go bear this letter to Lord John of Lancaster. 
to my brother John, this to my Lord of Westmoreland. Exit Bardolph. Go, Petto, to horse, to horse, for thou and I have 30 miles ride yet ere dinner time. Exit Peto. Jack, meet me tomorrow in the temple hall at two o'clock in the afternoon. There thou shalt know thy charge, and there receive money and order for their furniture. The land is burning. Percy stands on high, and either way we or they must lower lie. Exit Prince Henry. Fair words, brave world. Hostess, my breakfast, come. Oh, I wish this tavern were my drum. Exit. Act four, scene one, the rebel camp near Shrewsbury. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, and Douglas. Well said, my noble Scot. If speaking truth in this fine age were not thought flattery, such attribution should the Douglas have as not a soldier of this season's stamp. So go, so current, general current through the world. My God, I cannot flatter. I, I do defy the tongues of soothers. But a braver place in my heart's love hath no man than yourself. They task me to my word. Approve me, Lord. Thou art the king of honor. No man so potent breathes upon the ground, but I will beard him. Do so, and tis well. Enter a messenger with letters. What letters hast thou there? I can but thank you. These letters come from your father. Letters from him? Why comes he not himself? He cannot come, my lord. He is grievous sick. Sounds! How ha has he the leisure to be sick in such a rustling time? Who leads his power? Under whose government come they along? His letters bear his mind, not I, my lord. I prithee, tell me, doth he keep his bed? He did, my lord, four days ere I set forth, and at the time of my departure thence he was much feared for by his physicians. Ah, I would the state of time had first been whole ere he be by sickness had been visited. His health was never better worth than now. Sick now, droop now. This sickness doth infect the very lifeblood of our enterprise. Tis catching hither even to our camp. He writes me here that inward sickness and that his friends by, by deputation could not so soon be drawn, nor did he think it meet to lay so dangerous and dear a trust on any soul removed but on his own. Yet doth he give us bold advertisement that with our small, small conjunction we should on to see how fortune is disposed to us. For as he writes, there is no quailing now, because the, the king is certainly possessed of all our purposes. What say you to it? Uh, your father's sickness is a maim to us. A perilous gash, a very limb lopped off. And yet in faith it is not. His present want seems more than we shall find it. Were it good to set the exact wealth of all our states all at one cast, to set so rich a main on the nice hazard of one doubtful hour, it were not good. For therein should we read the very bottom and the soul of hope, the very list, the very utmost bound of all our fortunes. Faith, and so we should. Where now remains a sweet reversion, we may boldly spend upon the hope of what is to come in. A comfort of retirement lives in this. A rendezvous, a home to fly unto, if the devil and the mischance look big upon the maidenhead of our affairs. 
but yet I would your father had been here. The quality and hair of our attempt works no division. It will be thought by some that know not why he is away, that wisdom, loyalty, and mere dislike of our proceedings kept the Earl from hence. And think how such an apprehension may turn the tide of fearful action and breed a kind of question in our cause. For well you know we of the offering side must keep aloof from strict arbitrament and stop all sight holes, every, every loop from whence the eye of reason may pry in upon us. This absence of your father's draws a curtain that shows the ignorant a kind of fear before not dreamt of. You strain too far. I rather of his absence make this use. It lends a luster and more great opinion, a larger dare to our great enterprise than if the Earl were here. For men must think, if we, without his help, can make a head to push against a kingdom, with his help, we shall o'erturn it topsy-turvy down. It all goes well, yet all our joints are whole. As heart can think, there is not such a word spoke of in Scotland as this term of fear. Enter Sir Richard Vernon. My cousin Vernon, welcome by my soul. May God my news be worth the welcome, Lord. Uh, the Earl of Westmoreland, 7,000 strong, is uh, marching hitherwards with him, Prince John. No harm, what more? Um, and uh, further, I have learned the king himself in person is set forth, or hitherwards intended speedily, with a strong and mighty preparation. He shall be welcome too. Where is his son, the nimble-footed madcap Prince of Wales, and his comrade that daft the world aside and bid it pass? All furnished in arms, all uh, plumed like estrages that... With the wind, baited like eagles, having lately bathed, glittering in golden coats like images, as full of spirit as the month of May, as gorgeous as the sun in midsummer, wanton as youthful goats, wild as young bulls. I uh, saw Harry, young Harry, with, uh, with his beaver on, his squeezes on his thighs, gallantly armed, and rise from the ground like feathered mercury, and vaunted with such ease into his seat as if an angel dropped from the clouds to turn and find a fiery pegasus and witch the world with noble horsemanship. No more, no more. Worse than the sun in March, this praise doth nourish agues. Let them come. They come like sacrifices in their trim, and to the fire-eyed maid of smoky war, all hot and bleeding, will we offer them. The mailed Mars shall on his altar sit, up to the ears in blood. I am on fire to hear this rich reprisal is so nigh, and yet not ours. Come, let me taste my horse, who is to bear me like a thunderbolt against the bosom of the Prince of Wales. Harry to Harry shall hot horse to horse meet, and ne'er part till one drop down a course. Oh, the Glendower were come. Uh, there is more news. I learned in Worcester, as I rode along, he... Cannot draw his power in this 14 days. That's the worst tidings that I hear of yet. Aye, by my faith, that bears a frosty sound. What might the king's whole battle reach unto? Uh, to 30,000? 40, let it be. My father and Glendower being both away, the powers of us may serve so great a day. Come, 
Let us take a muster speedily. Doomsday is near. Die all. Die merrily. Talk not of dying. I am out of fear of death or death's hands for this one half year. Exit. Scene two, a public road near Coventry. Enter Falstaff and Bardolph. Bardolph, get thee before to Coventry. Fill me a bottle of sack. Our soldiers shall march through. We'll to Sutton Coeful tonight. Will you give me money, Captain? Uh, lay out, lay out. This bottle makes an angle. And if it do, take it for thy labor. And if it make twenty, take them all. I'll answer the coinage. Bid my lieutenant Peto meet me at the town's end. I will, Captain. Farewell. Uh, if I be not ashamed of my soldiers, I am a soused gurnet. I have misused the king's press damnably. I've got, in exchange of 150 soldiers, 300 and odd pounds. I press me none, but good householders, yeomen's sons, inquire me out contracted bachelors, such as been asked twice on the bands, such a commodity of warm slaves as had to leave here the devil as a drum. Such is fear the report of a caliver worse than a struck fowl or a hurt wild duck. I pressed me none, but such toasts and butter with hearts in their bellies no bigger than pins heads that they have brought out, bought out their services. And now... My whole charge consists of ancients, corporals, lieutenants, gentlemen of companies, slaves as ragged as Lazarus in the painted cloth, cloth, where the glutton's dogs licked his sores, and such as indeed were never soldiers, but discarded unjust serving men, younger sons to younger brothers, revolted tapsters, ostlers, trade fallen, the cankers of a calm world and a long peace. <sighs> Ten times more dishonorable ragged than an old-faced ancient. And such have I to fill up the rooms of them that brought out their, bought out their services that you would think that I had 150 tattered prodigals lately come from swine-keeping, from eating draft and husks. A mad fellow met me on the way and told me I had unloaded all the gibbets and pressed the dead bodies. No oh, eye hath seen such scarecrows. Uh, I'll not march through through Coventry with them, that's flat. Nay, the villains march wide betwixt the legs, as if they had gyves on. For indeed, I had the most of them out of prison. There's but a shirt and a half in all my company, and the half shirt is two napkins tacked together and thrown over the shoulders like a herald's coat without sleeves. And the shirt, uh, to say the truth, stolen from my host at St. Albans, or uh, uh, the red-nosed innkeeper at Daventry, but that's all one. They'll find linen enough on every hedge. Enter the prince in Westmoreland. How now, blown Jack? How now, Quilt? What, how, how now, mad wag? What a devil dost thou in Warwickshire? My good lord of Westmoreland, I cry you mercy. I thought your honor had already been at Shrewsbury. Faith, Sir John, tis more than time that I were there, and you too. But my powers are there already. The king, I can tell you, looks for us all. We must away all night. Tut, never fear me. I'm as vigilant as a cat to steal cream. I think to steal cream indeed, for thy heft hath already made thee butter. But tell me, Jack, whose fellows are these that come after? Mine, Hal, mine. I did never see such pitiful rascals. Tut, tut, good enough to toss, food for powder. Food for powder. They'll fill a pit as well as better. Tush, man, mortal men. 
mortal men. Aye, but Sir John methinks they are exceeding poor and bare, too beggarly. Faith, um, for their poverty, I know not where they had that, and for their bareness, I'm sure they never learned that of me. No, I'll be sworn, unless you call three fingers on the ribs bare. But, Sirrah, make haste. Percy is already in the field. What, is the king encamped? He is, Sir John. I fear we shall stay too long. Well, to the latter end of a fray and the beginning of a feast fits a dull fighter and a keen guest. Exempt. Scene three, the rebel camp near Shrewsbury. Enter Hotspur, Worcester, Douglas, and Vernon. We'll fight with him tonight. It may not be. You give him, then, the advantage. I'm not a wit. Why say you so? Looks he not for supply? So do we. His is certain, ours is doubtful. Good cousin, be advised. Stir not tonight. Do not, my lord. You do not counsel well. You speak it out of fear and cold heart. Do not slant. Do me no slander, Douglas. By my life, I dare well maintain it with my life. If well-respected honor bid me on, I hold as little counsel with weak fear as you, my lord, or any Scot that this day lives. Let it be seen tomorrow in the battle which of us fears. Yea, or tonight. Content. Tonight, I say. Come, come. It need not be. I wonder much, being men of such great leading as you are, that you foresee not what impediments drag back our expedition. Certain horse of my cousin Vernon's are not yet come up. Your uncle Worcester's horse came but today, and now their pride and mettle is asleep. Their courage with hard labor, tame and dull, that not a horse is half the half of himself. So are the horses of the enemy in general, journey-baited and brought low. The better part of ours are full of rest. The number of the king exceedeth ours. For God's sake, cousin, stay till all come in. The trumpet sounds at a parley. Enter Sir Walter Blunt, now recast. I come with gracious offers from the king. If you vouchsafe me hearing and respect. Welcome, Sir Walter Blunt. Would to God you were of our determination. Some of us love you well, and even those some envy your great deservings and good name, because you are not of our quality, but stand against us like an enemy. And God defend, but still I should stand so. So long as out of limit and true rule, you stand against anointed majesty, but to my charge. The king has sent to know the nature of your griefs, and whereupon you conjure from the breast of civil peace such bold hostility teaching his duteous land audacious cruelty. If that the king have any way your good deserts forgot, which he confesseth, confesseth, Jesus, to manifold, he bids you name your griefs, and with all speed you shall have your desires with interest and pardon absolute for yourself, and these herein misled by your suggestion. The king is kind, and well we know the king knows at what time to promise when to pay, my father and my uncle and myself did give him that same royalty he wears. And when he was not six and twenty strong, sick in the world's regard, wretched and low, a poor unminded outlaw sneaking home, my father gave him welcome to the shore. 
and when he heard him swear and vow to God, he came but to be Duke of Lancaster, to sue his livery and beg his peace with tears of in innocency and terms of zeal. My father, in kind heart and pity moved, swore him assistance and performed it too. Now, when the lords and barons of the realm perceived Northumberland did lean to them, the more and less came in with cap and knee met him in boroughs, cities, villages, attended him on bridges, stood in lanes, laid gifts before him, proffered him their oaths, gave him their heirs, as, as pages followed him, even at the heels in golden multitudes. He presently, as greatness knows himself, steps me a little higher than his vow made to my father, while his blood was poor upon the naked shore at Ravenspurk. And now, forsooth, takes on him to reform some certain edicts and some straight decrees that lie too heavy on the commonwealth, cries out upon abuses, seems to weep over his country's wrongs, and by this face, this seeming brow of justice, did he win the hearts of all that he did angle for, proceeded further cut me off the heads of all the favourites that the absent king in deputation left behind him here when he was personal in the Irish war. Tut, I came not to hear this. Then to the point. In short time after, he deposed the king. Soon after that, deprived him of his life. And in the neck of that, tasked the whole state to make that worse, suffered his kinsman March, who is, if every owner were well placed, indeed his king, to be engaged in Wells, Wales, there without ransom to lie forfeited, disgraced me in my happy victories, sought to entrap me by intelligence, rated mine uncle from the council board in rage, dismissed my father from the court, broke oath on oath, committed wrong on wrong, and in conclusion drove us to seek out this head of safety, and withal to pry into his title, which we find to indirect for long continuance. Shall I return this answer to the king? No, not so, Sir Walter. We'll withdraw a while. Go to the king and let there be impawned some surety for a safe return again. And in the morning early shall my uncle bring him our purposes, and so farewell. I would you accept of grace and love. And may be so we shall. Pray God you do. Exunt, scene four, York, the Archbishop's Palace, and to the Archbishop of York and Sir Michael. Hi, good Sir Michael. Bear this sealed brief with winged haste to the Lord Marshal. This to my cousin Scroop and all the rest to whom they are directed. If you know how much they do to import, you would make haste. My good Lord, I guess the tenor. Like enough you do. Tomorrow, good Sir Michael, is a day wherein the fortune of 10,000 men must buy the touch. For Sir, at Shrewsbury, as I am truly given to understand, the king with mighty and quick-raised power meets with Lord Harry. And I fear, Sir Michael, what with the sickness of Northumberland, whose power was in the first proportion, and what with Owen Glendower's absence thence, who with them was a rated sinew too, and comes not in, or ruled by prophecies, I fear the power of Percy is too weak to wage an instant trial with the king. Why, my good lord, you need not fear. There is Douglas and Lord Mortimer. No, Mortimer is not there. But there is Mordray. 
Vernon, Lord Harry Percy, and there is my Lord of Worcester, and a head of gallant warriors, noble gentlemen. And so there is. But yet the king hath drawn the special head of all the land together, the Prince of Wales, Lord John of Lancaster, the noble Westmoreland, and warlike Blunt, and more rivals and dear men of estimation and command in arms. Doubt not, my lord. They shall be well opposed. I hope no less, yet needful tis to fear, and to prevent the worst, Sir Michael, speed. For if the Lord Percy thrive not, ere the king dismiss his power, he means to visit us, for he hath heard of our confederacy, and tis but wisdom to make strong against him. Therefore make haste. I must go right again to other friends, and so farewell, Sir Michael. Exeunt. Act 5, Scene 1, King Henry IV's camp near Shrewsbury. Enter King Henry, Prince Henry, Lord John of Lancaster, Earl of Westmoreland, Sir Walter Blunt, and Falstaff. How bloody the sun begins to peer above yon busky hill. The day looks pale at his distemperature. The southern wind doth play the trumpet to his purposes, and by his hollow whistling in the leaves foretells a tempest and a blustering day. Then with the losers, and with the losers, let it sympathize, for nothing can seem foul to those that win. Trumpet sounds. Enter Worcester and Vernon. How now, my lord of Worcester? Tis not well that you and I should meet upon such terms as now we meet. You've deceived our trust and made us doff our easy robes of peace to crush our old limbs in ungentle steel. This is not well, my lord. This is not well. What say you to it? Will you again unknit this curlish knot of all abhorred war and move in that obedient orb again where you did give a fair and natural light and be no more an exhaled meteor, a prodigy of fear and a portent of broached mischief to the unborn times? Hear me, my liege. For my own part, I could be well content to entertain the lag end of my life with quiet hours, for I do protest, I have not sought the day of this dislike. You have not sought it. How comes it then? Rebellion lay in his way and he found it. Peace, Peace. Peace. It please your majesty to turn your looks of favor from myself and all our house. And yet I must remember you, my lord. We were the first and dearest of your friends. For you, my staff of office did I break, and Richard's time, and posted day and night to meet you on the way and kiss your hand. When yet you were in place and in account, nothing so strong and fortunate as I. It was myself, my brother and his son, that brought you home and boldly did outdare the dangers of the time. You swore to us. And you did swear that oath at Doncaster that you did nothing purpose against the state, nor claim no further than your new fallen right, the seat of Gaunt, dukedom of Lancaster. To this we swore our aid, but in short space it rained down fortune showering on your head, and such a flood of greatness fell on you, and with your our help. What with the absent king? What with the injuries of a wanton time? 
the seeming sufferances that you had borne, and the contrarious winds that held the king so long in his unlucky Irish wars. All in England did repute him dead. And from this swarm of fair advantages, you took occasion to be quickly wooed, to gripe the general's sway into your hand. Forget your oath to us, Doncaster, and being fed by us, you used us so, as that ungentle hull, the cuckoo's bird, useth the sparrow, did oppress our nest, grew by our feeding to so great a bulk, that even our love durst not come near your sight for fear of swallowing. But with nimble wing, we were enforced for safety's sake to fly out of sight and raise the present head. Whereby we stand opposed by such means as you yourself have forged against yourself by unkind usage, dangerous countenance, and violation of all faith and troth sworn to us in your younger enterprise. These things indeed you have articulate, proclaimed at market crosses, read in churches to face the garment of rebellion with some fine color that may please the eye of fickle changelings and poor discontents, which gape and rub the elbow at the news of hurly-burly innovation. And never yet did insurrection want such watercolors to impaint his cause, nor moody beggars starving for a time of pell-mell havoc and confusion. In both your armies, there is as many a soul shall pay full dearly for this encounter. If once they join in trial, tell your nephew, the Prince of Wales doth join with all the world in praise of Henry Percy. By my hopes, this present enterprise set off his head. I do not think a braver gentleman, more active, valiant, or more valiant young, more daring or more bold is now alive to grace this latter age with noble deeds. For my part, I may speak it to my shame. I have a truant been to chivalry, and so I hear he doth account me too. Yet this before my father's majesty, I am content that he shall take the odds. Of his great name and estimation and will to save the blood on either side, try fortune with him in a single fight. And, Prince of Wales, so dare we venture thee, albeit considerations infinite do make against it. No, good Worcester, no, we love our people well, even those we love that are misled upon your cousin's part. And will they take the offer of our grace, both he and they and you, every man, shall be my friend again, and I'll be his. So tell your cousin, and bring me word what he will do. But if he will not yield, Rebuke and dread correction wait on us, and they shall do their office. So be gone. We will not now be troubled with reply. We offer fair. Take it advisedly. Exent Worcester and Vernon. It will not be accepted on my life. The Douglas and the Hotspur both together are confident against the world in arms. Hence, therefore, every leader to his charge. For on their answer, we will we set on them. And God befriend us as our cause is just. Exent all but Prince Henry and Falstaff. How, if you see me down in the battle and bestride me, uh, so tis a point of friendship. <laughs> Nothing but a colossus can do thee that friendship. Say thy prayers and farewell. 
Uh, I would for bedtime, Hal, and all well. Why? Thou owest God a death. Exit Prince Henry. <laughs> Tis not due yet. I would be loath to pay him before his day. What need I be so forward with him that calls not on me? Well, tis no matter. Honor pricks me on. Yea, but how if honor prick me off when I come on? How then? Hmm? Can honor set to a leg? No. Or an arm? No. Or take away the grief of a wound? No. Honor hath no skill in surgery? Then no. What is honor? Huh. A word? What is in that word honor? What is that honor? Air? Huh. Trim reckoning. Who hath it? He that died a Wednesday, doth he feel it? No. Doth he hear it? No. Tis insensible then, yea, to the dead, but will it not live with the living? No. Why? Detraction will not suffer it. Uh, therefore, I'll none of it. Honor is a mere scutcheon. So ends my catechism. Exit. Scene two, the rebel camp, enter Worcester and Vernon. Oh, no, my nephew must not know. Sir Richard, the liberal and kind offer of the king. For best he did. Then we are all undone. It is not possible. It cannot be. The king should keep his word in loving us. He will suspect us still and find a time to punish this offense and other faults. Suspicion all our lives shall be stuck full of eyes. For treason is but trusted that the fox, who never so tame, so cherished and locked up, will have a wild trick of his ancestors. Look how we can, or sad or merrily. Interpretation will misquote our looks, and we shall feed like oxen at a stall, the better cherished, still the nearer death. My nephew's trespass may be well forgot. It hath the excuse of youth and heat of blood, and an adopted name of privilege, a hair-brained hotspur governed by a spleen. All his offenses live upon my head, and on his father's we did train him on, and his corruption being taken from us, we, as the spring of all, shall pay for all. Therefore, good cousin, let not Harry know in any case the offer of the king. Deliver what you will. I'll say tis so. Here comes your cousin. Enter Hotspur and Douglas. My uncle is returned. Deliver up my lord of Westmoreland. Uncle, what news? The king will bid you battle presently. Defy him by the lord of Westmoreland. Lord Douglas, go you and tell him so. Mary, and shall, and very willingly. Exit. There is no seeming mercy in the king. Did you beg any, God forbid. I told him gently of our grievances, of his oath-breaking, which he mended thus by now forswearing that he is forsworn. He calls us rebels, traitors, and will scourge with haughty arms this hateful name in us. Re-enter the Earl of Douglas. Arm, gentlemen, to arms, for I have thrown a brave defiance in King Henry's teeth, and Westmoreland, that was engaged, did bear it, which cannot choose but bring him quickly on. Uh, the Prince of Wales stepped forth before the king, and nephew challenged you to single fight. 
Oh, would the quarrel lay upon our heads, and that no man may draw short breath today, but I and Harry Monmouth. Tell me, tell me, how show his tasking seemed it in contempt? No, by my soul, I never in my life did hear a challenge urged more modestly, unless a brother should a brother dare, to gentle exercise and proof of arms. He gave you all the duties of a man, trimmed up your praises with a princely tongue, spoke to your deservings like a chronicle, making you ever better than the praise by still dispraising praise valued in you. And uh, becoming him like a prince indeed, he made a blushing sittle of himself and chid his truant youth with such a grace as if his ma he mastered there a double spirit of teaching and of learning instantly. There did he pause, but let me tell the world, if he outlived the envy of this sweet, day, this sweet day, England did never owe so sweet a hope, so much misconstrued in his wantonness. Cousin, I think thou art enamored on his follies. Never did I hear of any prince so wild a libertine. But be he as he will, yet once ere night I will embrace him with a soldier's arm that he shall shrink under my courtesy. Arm, arm with speed, and fellows, soldiers, friends, Better consider what you have to do than I, that have not well the gift of tongue, can lift your blood up with persuasion. Enter a messenger. My lord, here are letters for you. I cannot read them now. Oh, gentlemen, the time of life is short. To spend that shortness basely were too long if life did ride upon a dial's point, still ending at the arrival of an hour. And if we live, we live to tread on kings. If die... Brave death when princes die with us. Now, for our consciences, the arms are fair when the intent of bearing them is just. Enter another messenger. My lord, prepare. The king comes on apace. I thank him that cuts me from my tail, for I profess not talking. Only this, that each man do his best, and here draw I a sword, whose temper I intend to stain with the best blood that I can meet with all in the adventure of this perilous day. Now, Esperance! Percy, and set on. Sound all the lofty instruments of war, and by that music let us all embrace. For heaven to earth, some of us shall never shall a second time do such a courtesy. The trumpets sound, they embrace and exit. Scene three, plain between the camps. King Henry enters with his power, alarmed to the battle, then enter Douglas and Sir Walter Blunt. What is thy name, that in the battle thus thou crossest me? What honor dost thou seek upon my head? Then, my name is Douglas, and I do haunt thee in the battle thus, because some tell me that thou art a king. They tell thee true. The Lord of Stafford, dear today, hath brought thy likeness, for instead of thee, King Harry, this sword hath ended him. So shall it be, unless thou yield thee as my prisoner. <laughs> I was not born a yielder, thou proud Scot, and thou shalt find a king that will revenge Lord Stafford's death. They fight. Dungl Douglas kills Sir Walter Blunt. Enter Hotspur. Oh, how Douglas, hast thou fought at Holmden thus, never had triumphed upon a Scot? <laughs> all's done, all's won. Here breathless lies the king. Where? <laughs> Here. This? Douglas? No, this, I know this face full well. A gallant knight he is. His name was Blunt. Semblably furnished like the king himself. 
A fool go with thy soul, whither it goes. A borrowed title hast thou bought too dear. Why didst thou tell me that thou art king? The king hath many marching in his coats. Now, by my sword, I will kill all his coats. I'll murder all his wardrobe, piece by piece, until I meet the king. Up and away, our soldiers stand full fairly for the day. Exunt, alarum, enter Falstaff. Though I would, though I could escape shot free at London, I fear the shot here. Here's no scoring, but upon the pate. Soft, who are you? Oh, Sir Walter Blunt, there's honor for you. Here's no vanity. I am as hot as molten lead and heavy too. God, keep lead out of me. I need no more weight than mine own bowels. Uh, I've led my ragamuffins where they are peppered. There's not three of my 150 left alive, and they are for the town's end to beg during life. But who comes here? Enter Prince Henry. What, standest thou idle here? Lend me thy sword. Many a nobleman lies stark and stiff under the hooves of vaunting enemies, whose deaths are yet unrevenged. I prithee, lend me thy sword. Oh, how I prithee, give me leave to breathe a while. Turk Gregory never did such deeds in arms as I have done this day. I have paid Percy. I have made him sure. He is indeed, and living to kill thee. I prithee, lend thee thy sword. Nay, before God, Hal, if Percy be alive, thou gets not my sword. But take my pistol, if thou wilt. Give it to me. What is in the case? I Hal, tis hot, tis hot. That's, there's that, will sack a city. Prince Henry draws it out and finds it to be a bottle of sack. What is it a time to jest and dally now? He throws the bottle at him. Exit. Well, if Percy be alive, I'll pierce him if he do come in my way so. If he do not, if I come in his willingly, let him make a carbonado of me. I like not such grinning honor as Sir Walter hath. Give me life. Which if I can save, so if not, uh, honor comes unlooked for, and there's an end. Exit Falstaff. Scene four, another part of the field. Alarum, excursions, enter Prince Henry, Lord John of Lancaster, and Earl of Westmoreland. I prithee, Harry, withdraw thyself. Thou bleedest too much. Lord John of Lancaster, go you with him. Not I, my lord, unless I did bleed too. I beseech your majesty, make up. Lest your retirement do amaze your friends. I will do so. My Lord West of my Lord of Westmoreland, lead him to his tent. Um, my lord, I'll lead you to your tent. Lead me, my lord. I do not need your help. And God forbid a shallow scratch should drive the Prince of Wales from such a field as this, where stains nobility lies trodden on, and rebels' arms triumph in massacres. We breathe too long. Come, cousin Westmoreland, our duty this way lies. For God's sake, come. Exit Lancaster and Westmoreland. By God, thou hast deceived me, Lancaster. I did not think thee lord of such a spirit. Before I loved thee as brother, John. But now I do respect thee as my soul. I saw him hold Lord Percy at the point with lustier maintenance than I did look for of such an ungrown warrior. Oh, this boy lends a medal to us all. Exit. Enter Douglas. Another king. They grow like Hydra's heads. I am the Douglas, fatal to all those that wear those colors on them. What art thou, 
that counterfeiteth the person of a king? The king himself, who, Douglas, grieves at heart so many of his shadows thou hast met, and not the very king. I have two boys, seek Percy and thyself about the field. But seeing thou falst on me so luckily, I will assay thee. So defend thyself. I fear thou art another counterfeit. And yet, in faith thou bearest thee like a king. But mine I am sure thou art, whoever thou be, and thus I win thee. They fight. King Henry being in danger, Prince Henry enters. Hold up thy head, vile Scot, or if thou dost like never to hold it up against. The spirit of valiant Shirley Stafford Blunt are in my arms. In this the Prince of Wales that threatens thee, who never promiseth, but he means to pay. They fight. Douglas flies. Cheerly, my lord. How fares your grace? Sir Nicholas Gazi hath for succor sent, and so hath Clifton. I'll to Clifton straight. Stay and breathe a while. Thou hast redeemed thy lost opinion, and showed thou makest some tender of my life. In this fair rescue thou hast brought to me. Oh, God, they bid me too much injury that ever said I hearkened for your death. If it were so, I might have let alone the insulting hand of Douglas over you, which would have been as speedy in your end as in the poisonous potion in the world, and save the treacherous labor of your son. Make up to Clifton. I'll to Sir Nicholas Gazi. Exit. Enter Hotspur. I mistake not, thou art Harry Monmouth. Thou speakest as if I would deny my name. My name is Harry Percy. Why, see I, a very valiant rebel of the name. I am the Prince of Wales, and think not, Percy, to share with me in glory any more. Two stars keep not their motion in one sphere. Nor can one England brook a double reign of Harry Percy and the Prince of Wales. No call it, Harry, for the hour is come to end the one of us, and would to God thy name in arms were now as great as mine. I'll make it greater ere I part from thee. And all the budding honours of thy crest I'll crop to make a garland for your head. I can no longer brook thy vanities. They fight. Enter Falstaff. Oh, uh, well said, Hal. To it, how? Nay, you shall find no boys play here, I can tell you. Re-enter Douglas. He fights with Falstaff, who falls down as if he were dead, and exit Douglas. Hotspur is wounded and falls. Oh, Harry, thou hast robbed me of my youth. I better brook the loss of brittle life than those proud titles thou hast won of me. They wound my thoughts worse than sword my flesh. The thoughts the slave of life and time, and life time's fool, and time that takes survey of all the world must have a stop. Oh, I could prophesy, but that the earthy and cold hand of death lies in my tongue. Percy, thou art dust and food for... Dies. Poor worms, brave Percy. Fare thee well, great heart. Ill-weaved ambition, how much art thou shrunk? And that this body did contain a spirit, a kingdom, for it was too small a bound, but now two paces of the vilest earth is room enough. This earth bears thee dead, bears not alive, so stout a gentleman. If thou wert sensible of courtesy, I should not make so dear a show of zeal. 
but let my favors hide thy mangled face. And even in thy behalf, I'll thank myself for doing thee fair rites of tenderness. Adieu, and take thy praise with thee to heaven. This ignominy sleep with thee in the grave, but not remembered in thy epitaph. He spies Falstaff on the ground. <laughs> what? Old acquaintance. Could not all this flesh keep in a little life? Poor Jack. Farewell. I could have better spared a better man. Oh, I should have a heavy miss of thee. If I were much in love with vanity. Death hath not struck so fat a deer today, though many dearer in the bloody fray. Emboweled will I see thee by and by. Till then, in blood, thy noble Percy lie. Exit Prince Henry. Falstaff rises up. You're on mute, you're on mute, you're on mute. Emboweled. <laughs> Thou embowel me today. I'll give you leave to powder me and eat me too tomorrow. It's blood. <laughs> Twas time to counterfeit. Or that hot termagant Scott had paid me Scott and Lot to counterfeit. <laughs> I lie. I have no counterfeit. To die ah, is to be counterfeit. For he is but the counterfeit of a man who hath not the life of a man, but to counterfeit dying, when a man thereby liveth, is to be no counterfeit, but the true and perfect image of life indeed. The better part of valor mm, is discretion, in the which better part I have saved my life. Sounds. I am afraid of this gunpowder Percy, though he be dead. How? How if he should counterfeit too and rise by my faith? I'm afraid he would prove the better counterfeit. Therefore, I'll make him sure. Yea, and I'll swear I killed him. Why may not he rise as well as I? Nothing confutes me but eyes, and nobody sees me. Therefore, sirrah. Dabbing him. With a new wound in your thigh, come you along with me. Takes up Hotspur on his back. Re-enter Prince Henry and Lord John of Lancaster. <sighs> Come, Brother John, full bravely thou hast fleshed thy maiden sword. Soft, whom have we here? Did you not tell me this fat man was dead? I did, I saw him dead, breathless and bleeding on the ground. Art thou alive? Or is it fantasy that plays upon our eyesight? I pray thee speak, we will not trust our eyes, but let our ears. Thou art not what thou seemest. No! That's certain I am not a double man, but if I be not Jack Falstaff, then I am a Jack. There is Percy. Throwing the body down. If your father will do me any honor, so. If not, let him kill the next Percy himself. I look to be either Earl or Duke, I assure you. Why, Percy, I killed myself and saw thee dead. Didst thou? Lord, Lord, how this world is given to lying. I grant you, I was down, out of breath, and so was he. But we rose both in an instant and fought a long hour by Shrewsbury clock. 
if I may be believed so. If not, let them that should reward valor bear the sin upon their own heads. I'll take it upon my death. I gave him this wound in the thigh. If the man were alive and would deny it, zounds, I would make him eat a piece of my sword. This is the strangest tale that ever I heard. This is the strangest fellow, Brother John. Come, bring your luggage nobly on your back. For my part, if I lie, may do thee grace. I'll gild it with the happiest terms I have. A retreat is sounded. The trumpet sounds retreat. The day is ours. Come, brother, let us to the highest of the field to see what friends are living, who are dead. Exent Prince Henry and Lancaster. I'll follow, as they say, for reward. He that rewards me, God reward him. If I do grow great, I'll grow less, for I'll purge and leave sack and live cleanly as noblemen should do. Exit. Scene five, another part of the field. The trumpets sound. Enter King Henry IV, Prince Henry, Lord John Lancaster, Earl of Westmoreland, with Worcester and Vernon prisoners. Thus ever did rebellion find rebuke. Ill-spirited Worcester, did not we send grace, pardon, and terms of love to all of you? And wouldst thou turn our offers contrary, misuse the tenor of thy kinsman's trust? Three knights upon our party slain today, a noble earl, and many a creature else had been alive this hour. If like a Christian, thou hadst truly borne betwixt our army's true intelligence. What I have done, my safety urged me to, and I embrace this fortune patiently. Since not to be avoided, it falls on me. Bear Worcester to his death, and Vernon too. Other offenders we will pause upon. Exent Worcester and Vernon guarded. How goes the field? The noble Scot, Lord Douglas, when he saw the fortune of the day, quit, quite turned from him. The noble Percy slain, and all his men, upon the foot of fear, fled with the rest. And falling from a hill, he was so bruised that the pursuers took him. At my tent, the Douglas is, and I beseech your grace, I may dispose of him. With all my heart. Then, Brother John of Lancaster, to you this honorable bounty shall belong. Go to the Douglas and deliver him up to his pleasure, ransomless and free. His valor shown upon our crest today hath taught us how to cherish such high deeds, even in the bosom of our adversaries. Thank you, Grace, for this high courtesy, which I shall give away immediately. Then this remains that we divide our power. You, son John, and my cousin Westmoreland towards York, shall bend you with your dearest speed to meet Northumberland and the prelate Scroop, who, as we hear, are busily in arms, myself and you, son Harry, will towards Wales to fight with Glendower and the Earl of March. Rebellion in this land shall loose his sway, meeting the check of such another day. And since this business so fair is done, let us not leave till all our own be won. Exit.